there will be no real non-controlled currency in the world. Exciting time to be involved in Bitcoin Cash at the moment. During that whole war, fighting versus big blocks, like were we the bad guys? Were we the ones that went listening? Fundamentally, we believe in markets, transparency, and tokenization. Come on, you gotta come stronger than that, you know, like. Welcome back to the Bitcoin Cash podcast, following Bitcoin Cash on its rise to global reserve currency. This is episode number 75, Operation Choke Point 2.0 and Balaji's Bitcoin bet featuring Esteban or Rare Passenger, uh, as he is alternatively known. Today is Sunday, the 26th of March, 2023. I'm your host, Jeremy. Jet is doing the producing, same as always. And our guest today is a BTC fan, but hopefully we're converting him on the ideas of the electronic uh, cash system. But he's also a power lifter and I believe lives entirely on Bitcoin. I was just reading up on uh, his step-by-step process to get there. So Esteban, welcome to the show and how do you get into Bitcoin? Hey man, how's it going? My journey into Bitcoin, it's kind of a long you know, road. I mean, uh, if we want to start, I, I was originally a gold and silver bug right yeah love that and uh yeah this this comes back from 2008 the whole economic crisis and hey look at that we're back in it again right <laughs> <laughs> yep everything's for circle time is the flat yeah. circle you know so I, I was definitely a precious metals bug and um it was around like 2017 18 i was getting familiar with bitcoin again i hadn't purchased anything and uh, i do remember it back in the day like 2012 and I had bought some, and then I traded it for some video games, <laughs> which is nice. yeah. one of those. Oh yeah, perfect. Let's uh, <laughs> let's remember those memories, right? But um, you've got to have a story like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So at that time, you know, I was still just focusing on precious metals and and just you know mining stocks and really understanding the macroeconomics. I didn't know. I mean, I'm an artist that's my trade, right? So okay. we're not looking around at like macro or, or microeconomics or finance or business, or right? we're just looking at a crowd. But because I was running a business at the time too, um, it was around uh, 2019, I had this idea of like, well, what if I was to pay somebody in silver, right? Maybe yeah. that could be like, let's get the sound money train going. <laughs> and I put you know, uh, an ounce of silver in the palm of one of my, my teammates' hands. I'm like, what if I was paying on this? And he just looked at me, he's like, what is this? <laughs> what do I do with this? <laughs> and then that kind of clicked, I'm like, oh, oh no, this isn't, this isn't going to work, right? There's too much friction. So then I started getting back into Bitcoin again. Uh, but around that time too, it was like, we were going into the 2020 elections, you know, and a lot of uh, my friends who are out in the Hollywood or in New York, their businesses were, were getting debanked in a way. And I started making me really nervous. So when I started opting into Bitcoin, you know, for me, it was like, okay, well, I need to transact some way, you know, and I didn't know much about Bitcoin at the time other than what I previously learned. So I started buying like all kinds of coins, right? So I think I had a portfolio, quote unquote, of like 20 coins, reading white papers left, right and center. 
and trying to say like, well, what, what's going to work? I don't know. Right. So I would pay, I would try to pay people in different currencies and see which one was going to stick. And then it just like by process of elimination, it just whittled down to Bitcoin. Cause that was like the most familiar that people like understood and nothing happened to my business, thankfully. But, you know, I was just like, this is safety first. You know, like I got to keep going watching. And I'm not even, you know, it's not for me, it's red or blue left or right. You know, like I'm, I'm, in that anarchist camp, it's like, oh, the whole thing's a sham, right? <laughs> but yep. if you're so much as to the left, uh, to the right of Bernie Sanders, you know, that's an automatic cancel. And so you could just find yourself out of business in a snap. And that's just too much of a liability. So the more I study, the more I just continue to, to work and, and see that I could actually work and transact with people because my team's global as well. And it worked that way. And then also going back to the dude who was like, I, I gave him silver in his hand. He's like, oh, yeah, no, I know what Bitcoin is. You know, F me, man. This is <laughs> what have I been doing. Um, but then the real kicker came uh, towards the end of 2020 into 2021. I had a run in with the IRS. Uh, it was one of those things. I'm blindsided. All of a sudden, all my assets are frozen. I can't access anything. Wow. Um, I'm like, well, the only thing I have left is gold, silver, and Bitcoin, right? That was it. And so I was trying to do what I could in gold, but then the majority of my transactions were coming from Bitcoin. And then it took several months, about like six, seven months for everything to clear for me to get my like my assets again. Because that, that's a long time, dude. Like it's hard to yes. not. So at that point, I'm just like, no, this is, this is it. I'm done. Well, I'm out of the banking system. I had my problems in 2008, right? You know, I, I've, I've seen the problems that happen, things I didn't think would happen to me. And now I'm just like, yeah, I, having money in the bank, you just put in a target on your back. No, thank you. I'm, I'm done. I'm out. So had to learn the hard way <laughs> or force and fire on how to live on this stuff and make the most of it. And from that point, it really kind of just opened, opened me up to a lot of concepts and, and things that have been said in the, the, Bitcoin cryptocurrency world, even in the precious metals world, it's like we all have a lot of theories, you know, and a lot of scholarly, you know, wisdom, but very few practical points for the everyday user. And when I met up with Joella and we started talking and he was all into it um, and just asking his journey is like, it's still not easy for him, right? He still has a lot of, uh, there's some friction still in using it every day, but for me, I'm just like, no, this is it. Like, you have to, we have to forge it. Right. And I think the people who are actually using it on a day-to-day basis need to start coming out and saying, this is what really it, what it's all about. Right. So I'm, I'm out of fiat entirely and I'm learning every single day. <laughs> I'm finding something new. Um, but I'm at a, at a point where I'm just like, got to keep it simple. Right focus on one or two things and, you know, just try to be as proficient as possible. And then learning too, that the everyday Joe and Jane, like that's something they're not going to do. All of this stuff has to be very easy to digest, simple, you know, to understand. And that's where I'm just like, yep, this is a lot of work that has to be done on the education front. And I started a newsletter uh, about a year and change ago just trying to make that very accessible. So it's like, okay, all the big, you know, 
Finfluencers and you know FinTwit and you know the crypto Twitter and, and all the Reddits, etc. That's great for like echo chambers and hyping things up. But you know, I'm trying to get my grandma <laughs> to understand how to use the tech, right? I'm trying to get my parents to understand how to use the tech. I'm not trying to look at you know some uh, hedge fund manager or some you know investment firm to get in on it. Like I, I don't care. Like my thing is like me, my family, my community. And like, what's the easiest way for them to access stuff? So that's been my journey since then. Yeah, I love that. So act act local. That's always uh, where you got to start. So I want to pick up on just to start with this thread about the whole gold and silver community, because I, like many crypto people, have had, you know, a bit of a tangential interest in that. And there was mm. a time I've talked about it on the show before where I went I think it was 2014 or 2015, right? I bought some Bitcoin mm. and then I read up about a lot of this and then I thought, okay, cool. You know, this pressure metal stuff is pretty cool. So I went to the local uh, sort of antiques dealer guy who had a sort of gold uh, and silver little subsection of that, you know, with clocks and like all this right. arcane stuff. So I went in there, I bought what's a bar of silver. It was just a super cool experience. Everybody who uh, listens to this show, if you haven't done it, go buy some precious metals, some physical precious metals just for an experience. And uh, I went, I got it, I took it home. You know, I was trying to figure out where to save and stuff. It was only one bar, so it wasn't um, that much. But even with a silver bar, like a one ounce silver bar is actually a decent uh, size. For people who don't know, it's maybe, you know, the size of a, like, I, I don't know, I like guess. Half the size of a, of a debit like card. A, yeah, yeah, but like thick usually. Um, yeah, or I guess you could get a thin one, but I had quite a thick one, right? So it was more like a, like a pen, but if it was quite uh, chunky. And so uh, I had that and I was, oh, this is really cool. And then I was looking into all of it and just the exchange rates and stuff. You, there's Firstly, there's no ability to use it anywhere. I could buy a sandwich with a Bitcoin, but I couldn't do that with right. silver. Like you say, same thing. It was more practical. And then secondly, uh, it just costs so much money to get into and out of it. And even though the spreads on Bitcoin were still higher than, than they are now, now they're much lower, it was still way lower than the actual gold. And I also thought, look, gold is not doing shit or like silver, you know, that's basically explored territory. There's not going to be more and more people coming into this. So I eventually ended up selling that silver bar and just buying more Bitcoin with it because I thought, <laughs> Why, what, do I even, what do I even need this for? But since you were more embedded into that, have you seen a trend over time as the gold and silver community kind of gets it more with, with Bitcoin? Because a lot of them weren't so sympathetic to begin with. Yeah, I mean, a lot of them still aren't, right? So, yeah, I mean, I'm in Florida, so it's like Boomertown, USA, and there's still very much, you know, gold and silver, precious metals types. But the thing that I've learned is that when they say precious metals is the insurance when everything fails, and I was like, yeah, this is the real insurance. It, it, that's exactly what you should say it is. It It is a, Jim Rickards would say in a, in a financial crisis, you sell what you can, not what you want. Right. Yes. And so I experienced that when I had troubles with the government. Right. And so I had uh, it's like a hundred, almost a hundred K that I had to settle up with. And most of my net worth was in precious metals. And so the hard part was loading a hundred K worth of like silver and gold into a truck and then driving to a dealer. Right. Because then it's like, okay, now with armed have... guards or like did you have a, a rifle <laughs> no, in the no, back no. or something? <laughs> no, I mean I 
I, I was strapped. Right. And so I went with, uh, with my dad. Right. And so we're just driving, we're just really quiet, but I mean, it's not just other people that you'd have to worry about in that kind of sense. It's also like, you know, the, the cops because, the cops, uh, yeah. confiscation, uh, what is it? Civil, uh, forfeiture. Civil forfeiture. Right? So, so if they stop you, I mean, they could take all of it. And so that's a risk. And so again, like I'm, I'm going through this myself. It's like, this is nuts. <laughs> Why? I'm just going to pay a bill, right? I shouldn't have to be carrying, you know, a nine mil in my back, you know, and I shouldn't have to be like worrying if somebody's going to come and stop me. It's like, this is just too much stress, you know? So afterwards, I'm like, no, I, I, I sold practically everything in terms of my precious metals in order to settle up on, on the bill. So I'm just like, in a way I was relieved, but my wife would tell me too, cause I was, I was struggling. Like, I'm going to let go of all this. She's like, well, that's what it's for. Right. And so it really changes your mindset. It's like, it's not just, you know, number go up, but you know, it's not like, who cares about fiat at that point? It's like the purpose of, of the metals was to use as a currency to, to exchange. I need to pay the bill. Essentially I'm buying my freedom. Right. So here's the asset. I get my freedom back that it served its purpose. Right. Who cares how, whether it was a gain or a loss end of day, it was useful. So, the precious metals folks, though, uh, a lot of them are still very anti-crypto. And a lot of it is just because they don't understand the tech. They don't understand what's involved. And also, many of them, too, uh, it's only like a, a 2 to 5% of their portfolio, right? And then where do they keep it? Most of them keep it in vaults offshore where it's centralized. Right? So it's, yes. it's just liability after liability. And, you know, I, I wonder how many of them have actually tried to transact with it, right? So there were a couple of shops where I'm at where I could buy like a sandwich or a gallon of milk with, you know, some 90% silver, but introduce them to Bitcoin because their their POS systems went down. It's like, hey, you know, I can I can pay you in this. Like, what the hell is that? Like, it's Bitcoin. It's like, you've heard of it. It's like, yeah, it's a scam. Like, yeah, but I can pay you now. Here's how you can use it later. And it was almost like the lights went off or the lights went on. It was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is better. This is just easier to use. And it's just that experience for me is one of those. Um, I don't think the guys in the precious metals world, like all of it. Yes. There's, they have their, their theories and, and the books they've read and the schools they've studied. But, um, and, you know, history to go behind it, which is great. But again, most of it's theory, right? Like how many of them have tried to use a silver dollar at the grocery store? How many of them have tried to pay, you know, for something with gold, right? And it's only when you read about like stories, was it a, it was about a couple of years ago, there were stories about people in Venezuela who were going to the gold mines and were trying to buy their food. And so they would just like shave off, <laughs> you know, some stuff from a gold <laughs> nugget. And then it, it, it's just, this is, what, what are we doing? Are we going back to medieval ages, right? <laughs> like yes. this, this is not a step forward. It's a step backwards, right? And I think, you know, to the point with Operation Choke Point too, um, that's kind of the idea is like, we're, we're, we're getting rid of the tech, right? There's a, a, a real genuine fear about all the technology crypto has been building at, right? So more than just money, but like the smart contracts and, you know, uh, layering on the internet and, and privacy for communications, like all of the stuff that circumvents it, it, it's, you know, the old generation is terrified 
And so it's just blocking all of that, all the ramps to enter into it, you know, and it wants to send us back to like the 1980s, the 1970s, or, or, you know, maybe there's a point where we have to go back to the bank in person to write checks again. You know, I don't know, but it's, you know, that, that side of the world still doesn't understand it. And maybe this is just the, the, the break between generations, right? The old and the new, and then we're right in the middle. Yeah, I think, well, I think young people are, are certainly a lot more with it. I mean, that's the case with any technology, right? But it's it's just a frustration that you have, that I have, uh, obviously, Joel and others have as well, too. Yeah. So we've been pushing this whole crypto thing. And even within the crypto scene, there's still just so much uh, LARPing, you know, live action role playing of, oh, I'm, you know, I'm a big, tough crypto guy. And then, like, one thing Joel has said in the past, which I found really pertinent was, that he was surprised at how many people he met at crypto meetups that didn't have a wallet on their phone. Like they, they yeah. just didn't have any right there. And that, that is to me, that is the difference between the gold bugs. I mean, they're not carrying around gold coins either. Uh, no. on the crypto thing, you know, once you get a proper meetup with a few people that are actually with it and a merchant that accepts it, bam, you got transactions happening right there. That's not just theory. That's, that's where actually living it. Right. And that's probably why it is so scary. Right. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's terrifying, right? I mean, um, my my mother-in-law recently, you know, got a new car because, you know, it got all banged up. And on the dashboard, it's not the same thing that, you know, she's used to, right? I mean, yeah, it, it's still digital, you know, fronts, but, you know, there's still knobs that you can turn and buttons you can push. And then this one's just a glass screen. <laughs> and, yes. you know, everything is changing. And like, even for uh, people my age, right, I'm in my 40s. I mean, there's guys who are like, yeah, have you, have you, like, what, what are these apps, right? <laughs> it's on their smartphones. Like, dude, where you been? And um, that's just where it kind of opens up to the fact that not everybody is where, where you're at, right? Like, you're, you're probably maybe like 10 rungs up on the, ra- on the ladder and they barely even made it to the foothill of it. You know, yes. they haven't even reached for the first rung. And it's like, man, yeah, this is, I forgot who said this. Um, but it was in the economist, something like, um, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. Evenly distributed. Yeah. I think that might be, uh, HG Wells quote, but, uh, or maybe George Orwell, but, uh, it's, it's like one of those famous science fiction writers, I think. Yeah. It's a very good quote. Yeah. And and that's another thing. It's like the thing I have a buddy out in, in Arkansas. And I've been paying him in Bitcoin for work that he does like on compositing and editing and such. And the one thing that he told me is like, Hey, you guys out on the coastal side, you're like five, seven years in the future because none of that stuff translates into the middle of the country for like another, you know, half decade. And then that made me realize just like, man, yeah, this stuff is not evenly distributed at all. And trying to, spread adoption and spread the tech globally is really, that's an uphill battle, right? And a lot of LARPers don't exactly help. Yes. <laughs> so it, it's, this is a, something that I've seen. I know Joella has like seen this too. Um, many other people who are in the space as well, just realize like, yeah, there's, there's the talkers and then there's the walkers, right? Yeah. So you're walking the walk, not just talking the talk. And that's, it's a very lonely place for the most part. Um, but more and well, more maybe, people maybe not. Getting... 
Yeah, Not maybe entirely. it doesn't have to be. We're starting yeah, to get, no. that's the thing. We're starting to link up, you know, like this is a classic example of that, you know, that that network yeah. effect is starting to build and probably about as, uh, you know, not a moment too soon. It's it's pretty <laughs> fucking essential that we've got it going on, but I think it is starting to happen. I think we're going to see more and more of that, you know, a trickle turns into a flood. So I'm really hopeful over right. the next couple of years, we're going to see a huge uh, now that everybody has the groundwork, you know, people are not wrapped up in is Bitcoin a scam? Is this going to go away? I don't know what that is. Never heard of that. Blah, blah, blah. All of that is just time has slowly fixed that. So now yeah. people are starting to get to the the core of the issue a bit more, I think. Uh, at least that's my perspective. Yeah, I mean, it's slowly starting, right? Like I put out a poll. I know it's not. it doesn't have a very far reach of any source, but it's like, you know, here here's the question, right? Are we in a banking crisis slash collapse, right? It's like, we're on our way. Yes, what's just starting or, you know, hey man, where you been, <laughs> right? It's like, it's been going on. Many people think that we're just starting. And the fact of the matter is like, no, we have been in one for a very long time, right? 2008 was, I would say the second point of crisis. The very first one for us was in 71 when we went all fiat it's like that's the first crisis the second epoch is is the uh, 2008 we're in the third one now so it's like people are really just kind of coming to this and that's kind of my fear it's like i'd love for adoption to happen very organically right like in guatemala uh over in lake atiklan you know the merchants are you know people Tourists come in, they pay, things are very grassroots. It's probably the same thing in St. Kitts and Nevis. Uh, you know, some stuff that's, that's, I think it's like in, in Asia, I forgot exactly which country, but, you know, there's adoption or Nigeria. Nigeria's having one yes. where they're adopting Bitcoin and in a very, like, in a scary way, kind of, right? And that's kind of the thing that I worry about is I do want adoption, but at what cost, right? It's like we could have a slow, steady, gradual people get into this thing. But then realizing too, like how does society learn as a whole versus like you and myself, like we can pick it up individually, but like on the grand scheme, it takes catastrophe for, yes. for, for the whole, you know, global world to understand like what's going on. And that's sad because I remember 2008 very, very uh, uh, prominently, like it's just, etched in my in my brain and the fact that you know seeing people at the lines for the bank seeing people coming out of buildings with boxes in hand right just the layoffs and all that it's a it's an awful feeling it's terrible and then even as recent yeah and like was the the covid lockdowns too right where people don't have enough to eat and they're forming line after line just to get food it's like, is this how we want adoption to go? Like, fuck no, man, that is, that is awful. That is terrifying, <laughs> you know? I know that a lot of uh, cryptocurrency people are actually, they're older than I expected, like mm. getting into this. But so I was 11 when the 2008 right. shit hit the fan. And I don't have any real knowledge of the suffering that happened during that time because I was, you know isolated on a farm out in rural New Brunswick in Canada, like none of that really had any impact on me. Um, but I do know like that's, um, you know, the inspiration to why Bitcoin even exists. So, right. so what going ahead, what parallels do you think we'll see between 2008 and now? 
Because I, I want to uh, go for my own, you know, safety. <laughs> Being prepared. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know for sure, but I, I do know this is that it's a hundred times worse than 2008. Because 2008, I mean, yeah, the global economy would have just completely failed. Right. But now what we have, and, and this is just stuff that I've been putting together like over the last couple of weeks and just listening to podcasts and, and reading up on, on different articles and different takes. And, you know, just whenever I can just kind of formulate my opinion on this one. And, and this is a, a fiat a crisis. Right. And ultimately, fiat is just uh, it's a confidence game in the currency. So what we have right right now is a crisis of, of confidence. You know, in not just the currency, but in the entire system, you know, and people are waking up to that really, really fast. I mean, what is it? Uh, there's like 300 plus banks that are illiquid or insolvent. Right. And that's a huge, huge amount. Credit Suisse, Deutsche Bank, all of these things just like falling apart right before our eyes. People not really seeing that um, signature bank being seized by by the government. That's another thing that people haven't seen before. You know, it's like <clears throat> we have actual fascism in at our very doorstep, right? But actually, no, it's not in our doorstep. It's in our living room. Like, it's already here. It's been here for a while. And now it's just, you know, the mask has fallen off. You know, the lights have turned on. Everybody's seeing what's going on. And now with the, the idea that FDIC is going to try to make every single bank solvent, it's just how do you on a monetary policy that is hyperinflation but where's all that going to end up at yes. right banks the markets first and then eventually it may trickle into like you know the grocery store pumps you know disruption of the, of the supply chain so as far as like what do like getting ready for for what's to come it's like i'd stock up on some food if you're if you're somebody who's going to be in, in the same place for a while it's like look stock up on food water right have some you know maybe like walking around cash just in case it's still around or even like precious metals not too much because that's a, that's a security liability especially when things get really bad um have you know crypto bitcoin whatever you're going to be able to use because uh, i've had my this comes from like the experience of 2008 but also like friends and family who've gone through hyperinflation in like argentina and you know and the likes it's just seeing what what they had to go through and one thing that that kind of made me really depressed about all of this was well what was a really good currency in argentina during the hyperinflation and i was like well you know you had gold you had uh, you had the precious metals some cash uh alcohol cigarettes toys right and crypto so when i heard that toys would was going to be a really good currency that kind of like made me think like what the hell do you mean by toys like oh well when the families would come with their kids and they needed something to eat or, or something you know something to trade with like you're, you're going to use toys to trade with people you know to get and that just that was heartbreaking i'm like dude i don't want that to happen at all like in, yeah, in this world but that's, that's heavy. Messed up. I mean, that's heavy. But on one, I almost see that in a sort of optimistic light, which is the sort of the sense that uh, one of the things that's most uh, defensible in any sort of crisis is family, right? That's why family is, mm -hmm. is so important, right? And the fact that toys were tradable, why? Because they were on hand, because families that don't, you know, they've got rid of everything else, but they're still just trying yeah. to preserve the smallest little 
joy in the life of that kid letting them have you know a couple of their stuffed toys or whatever you know something fairly portable and what and so then that's why that became uh traded because i assume that it was all that was kind of left it after the, everything else had been gone they still yeah. had some toys for the kids you know uh and then obviously yeah. they were gone too so that sucks but uh it, it says something about the the power of parents i think it does i mean the power of families why it's so important the power of communities i mean because that's the like I, I'm a part of Bitcoin Bay and we have, we're starting a Bitcoin Bay foundation, which is to help onboard, you know, businesses and people and try to like create our, you know, circular economy, so to speak. Right. So we started something called Bitcoin Bay farms. Um, you know, we've talked to cattle ranchers, we've got, uh, you know, growers who are selling their, their goods, you know, taking it in Bitcoin and moving it around that way, trying to onboard, you know, it's going to be a parallel system for a little bit, right. Where you've got, you know, somebody taking Bitcoin or other cryptos, and then you're still going to have the fiat world. And I think, you know, Balaji, is that how you say his name, right? Yeah. Balaji, um, yeah. Balaji, he mentioned something on uh, Pomp's podcast about uh, different types of states, right? You're going to have states, well, at least in the U.S. I don't know what's going to be in Canada or you know uh, in Europe, but ultimately, it's like you know you're going to have the states that will be very crypto centric, states that are very fiat centric, and then some of them that are in between, right? And so you have this breakup economically, which is really interesting. It's like yeah, this is. You have to, at least from from our my standpoint, um, building that circular economy locally. You know, trying to get around any type of state sanctioned, you know, blockade or whatever is important. You know, now it's not just about hey, you know, use my my token, use my coin, use my blockchain, whatever the hell. Like that that that's I'm I'm, I'm chucking that out the window. The fact of the matter is, like, do you still want to be? You know, do you still want to live? Do you still want to eat? You know, do you still want to like continue to, to move forward, you know, in your life? Or do you want to be at the whim of, you know, Jay Powell and what he says, you know, interest rate up, interest rate down, right? Or even the current administration, just because, you know, they're trying to cover up whatever it is they're, they're doing. It's like, no, you don't want that. We shouldn't have to be paying attention to what some bureaucrat in Washington's doing. Right. Because he doesn't live in my neighborhood. I mean, they're so far removed from it and building amongst each other. I think that's what's going to start growing over the over the years. Yeah. More reconnection with with local community. All right. We have to touch on the price. We do at the start of every episode <laughs> for historical uh, reasons. Uh, USD 125.52 for BCH this week down. We're at all time lows versus BDC. So perfect time to have a guest to tell us how stupid we are. 220.3 uh, BCH getting wrecked there. But uh, B- Bitcoin is actually BDC is having a great run at the moment because uh, a lot of the a lot of the alternatives are suffering. We're down against ETH too though. One ETH, uh, 14.0 BCH. So just to quickly touch on those elements of the price, I was just reading some of your Substack and uh, essentially Actually, this is why it's hard to get across. I was talking to somebody last night literally about this, where I was trying to explain to them that in fiat currency, you're getting devalued because they're printing and all the money is uh, you know, draining away into the freshly printed uh, dollars, right? 
And then I explained about the 21 million limit and they're like, okay, I kind of get that. But if the price of Bitcoin is fluctuating, isn't that the same thing? And I was trying to explain, well, no, not really, because your share of the 21 million is the same. So the size of the Bitcoin economy grows and shrinks, but at least your uh, allocation is is fixed. I had a really hard time. I could tell, you know, we would talk for about 10 minutes and I could tell the Andy still kind of hadn't really clicked with me. What was the difference between the Bitcoin exchange rate being volatile and fiat just devaluing over time. Uh, obviously, yeah. that also fluctuates. So how do you deal with that? And, and the pricing, obviously, you have dollar cost averaging when you live on it, that that kind of thing. How do you yeah. how do you handle volatility? So my party trick is this is I, I would take, you know, a sheet of paper, right? Just a notebook and draw a straight line and say, this is Bitcoin flat rate. And then here's the fluctuation of the dollar and just have a drawing down. It's like, that's Bitcoin is the only uh, thing that's stable. It's your purchasing power that's losing it. And it's like, well, what do you mean? And I flip it upside down. It's like, what does that look like? And it looks like, oh, the price is going up. I'm like, yeah, that's the illusion, right? That's that's the, the trick. And when we started getting into the nitty gritty, uh, we touched upon the, the whole Malaji 1 million you know, US dollars per coin. I'm like, that's what, like a 3,600, 3,900% increase in the price from where it is now. I said, but let's take a look at what that would do to like a gallon of milk, right? So at, at the present time, I think it was like uh, 100,000 100, sats for a gallon of milk-ish, probably off right now. Um, but I said, but let's say the gallon of milk goes, you know, 300, you know, uh, 3,600, 39, you know, 100% in the price. Now you're looking at a $100 gallon per milk, right? It, that's, that's insane. But let's look at the Bitcoin price. It's still the same, right? That's preserving of your purchasing power, you know? And that's the key thing to remember. It's like, it's not about how many dollars you can get. Like that's still, you know, Wall Street talk. That's still, you know, uh, moon boys and all that. It's like, no, let's, let's look at how much stuff you can actually buy. And that's just something I'm taking from the precious metals world because it's like, it's not the price of gold. It's what can you get with your gold, right? How many barrels of oil? How many bushels of wheat? How many, you know, crates of eggs and or, or pounds of meat? So then let's apply that with Bitcoin. It's the same thing. It's like, how many eggs can I buy? How many gallons of milk? How many gallons of gasoline, right? Or in terms of uh, like wealth preservation, like how much, you know, mortgage can I pay off? You know, if I'm not working, how, how much can I still continue to live? And let's say, oh, you know, I, I my Bitcoin holding allows me to go without work for a year. Great. You've been able to you know, maintain purchasing power over time because you can still buy certain things. Um, and that's the way that I've approached it. And it's like the, the lights turn on again. Right. The, or as we used to say, uh, light dawns on Marblehead. it's like i get it you know it's like so the real volatility is not the unit of account right you have to change that you know if you're using dollars as your unit of account everything fluctuates it's like look at the price of gas you know the fuel costs here went from like a dollar 25 up to 375 and in some places it's at seven so is, what's changing is it the gasoline no, it's, it's you know, the gasoline was the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It's the fiat price of it. Like that's the real volatility, right? The, the house that you live in, right? Or the apartment that you're renting from. I mean, if the cost of the house goes up, 
did it automatically add an extra acre, right? Or square footage? You know, like, no, it's, it's still the same, right? So it, it's changing the mindset from fiat based, which is the dollar, right? And, no, and doing everything via the dollar amount to actual goods. Because we can't use the dollar anymore. It's it's a broken measure. It's more like a, a retractable tape measure, right? Yeah, you're, you're it's yeah, constantly fluctuating. It's like yeah. yeah, it's like how can you build a house that way? Like one day your your, your foot is you know twelve inches, and the next time it's seven, and then we're going back again. It's like your house is going to look lopsided. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I do like that analogy. I was trying to, I'll, I'll have to try that with the, like you said, with the drawing <laughs> on the paper. No, that sounds brilliant because I was trying to explain, we're sitting at this uh, table, you know, with three people and me and I'm trying to explain this concept. One guy already kind of knew and the other two were a bit like, what is this? And I, they, we had a bunch of uh, cups on the table. So I was trying to, trying to make it physical is uh, often a good way to kind of get the, so I was trying to show them like if we had an economy with cups, how that would, how that would work. But it's certainly... Yeah, I need yeah. to refine my pitch with that because it's quite yeah. hard to, to coordinate yeah. and make it make I mean, sense. It's right. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's like people, it's this money for the most part is still such an abstract concept, right? Because all I know is I work and then digits show up in my bank, you know, my bank account. And then I use those digits to pay for things. You know, the majority of people do not understand what money actually is. And the way I try to uh, approach people is like, your time and your energy is the money, right? And this is just a representation of your labor. That's it, right? So if you're working, you know, a set number of hours, it's like, that's your commitment. And then the money you get is, is sort of the payout, right? That's the trade. And then you can use that to, you know, get things that you need, right? And um, I tried explaining this to a friend of mine who's been like, I'm tired, I need a break. And I'm like, yeah, dude, but you're still in debt. You know, like you can take a break after you've gotten out of it, after you've at least managed it, right? You don't have to be debt-free, but, you know, to a place where it's manageable because even taking a day off means that you're falling behind even further. backward. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you have to just keep hustling, like until you're in a a sound position. And, you know, he kind of got it. I hope I'm not going to vote on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's, that's a funny thing. Like, because with, uh, finance. I mean, everybody's in a different scenario. I don't want to, you know, speak to anybody's yeah. individual case, but I was also reading you uh, writing about you just like, I'm never going into debt. I'm never, you know, anything like that, except for some student loans. I'm actually the exact same. You know, I was always yeah. very suspicious of the, I, in my mind, there's like my mental ledger is like, there's a line at zero and it's like, it starts at that. If you're at zero, that's it. You're fucked. There's no, uh, yeah. you know, bailouts for me personally. If I'm at zero, well, then I'm going to be eating ramen or starving or whatever <laughs> and just sort of building up from there. So that's how I approach it. And I, t- I did take a government loan in Australia. They give you a 0% hex uh, loan for your university right. but i've paid that off and then that that's it so my net worth is just like sort of an upward uh trend from there and so people once they get into debt because I, I don't think they understand that then time is not on your side it's against you and and that's just like swimming upstream yeah. you're, you're really struggling it's super hard i mean my dad was the one who instilled that to me he's like never never borrow money right because when I was a kid, I wanted to get like the new uh, console. I wanted to get the new game. I wanted you know, to be like my friends. And I'd, I'd be like, hey, can I borrow this? And you know, can I borrow some money? Can I borrow this? Like my dad's like, no, no, you, you don't borrow money. Right. Because my dad, you know, he, he was a closeted uh, gold and silver bug. 
right? Never told anybody about it, but he was a very sound money type of person. And he's like, don't ever borrow. It was like, the moment you borrow, you're, in, you're indebted to somebody else. I didn't understand that. Like, what, what are you talking about? Um, and yeah, my student loan, like I had no idea, right? I'm an 18 year old prick, you know, trying to find where I want to go to school. And I knew everything, blah, 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 blah. Signed my life away to a student loan. And, you know, that was the end of me. And it took me years to pay it off, right? And that was the only loan I ever took. I realized, like, the more I studied precious metals and the, you know, the, the fiat system and monetary history and all this stuff. Again, I'm an artist. I'm I'm not some you know MIT grad. I'm not some Harvard Business School alumni. I'm just a fucking artist, right? I, I live and die by the pencil. <laughs> so if somebody like me is capable of trying of figuring this stuff out and understanding. I do have a lot of hope. Like that's my optimism. I'm like, I'm, I, I don't consider myself a super genius or a financier or a wall street guy. I'm just a working stiff. Right. And I, I, I feel like I can articulate things pretty well. So maybe that's a super strength or something. Um, but yeah, it's like, don't, don't go into debt. And I can see that all around me. Right. So like when I hire people for my business, some of them are college grads and they're coming out with like quarter mil student loans. Absolutely. Just mind blowing. It's like, you have no idea you are in debt for the rest of your life. Right. At least the, the, the first 20 years you're going to be paying that off. And the problem is that, um, you're going to have other expenses, right? Your car, you know, maybe you do need to service it and you're going to get a car loan or maybe you're going to buy a house and they have a mortgage, right? So it's like the fiat system itself is designed to just entrap people to spider web, right? Yeah. And seeing some individually, families, friends of mine, they live and die by the credit card, right? And I had a buddy of mine, he's telling me that they don't even bother having money in a savings or checkings because his wife uses the credit card all the time to buy stuff for the kids. And so this is on the side where it's like, it's not even to, to be fr like frivolous, right. And, and buying, you know, going out to eat or going on vacations, like, no, it's just to buy my kids diapers and formula. And his wife is swiping the credit card left to right. Every penny that he earns ends up going to pay off the credit card. So there's no savings. It's like this, that is terrible. This is, this is bad. And they don't know, they don't know what money is and why it exists or, or what it's for. So when you're talking about the debt and, and where people are at, it's like, dude, this is, it's, it's scary. Like get out, right? Like you should be trying to get out of debt as if you're underwater trying to get oxygen. Right. Yes. So you you got to swim up to the top and, and most people still don't, don't understand it until it really hits them. And yeah, I mean, not to go off on, on all of this, but there's that psychological part to it afterwards, right? The emotional stress, you know, the mental stress, and uh, it results in things like hoarding or, you know, alcoholism or just, you know, hedonism altogether. Like all of these things are the symptoms of our fiat system right and and the debt system that we're in and it's being able to break that you know like getting out of it and then you feel like a sense of relief you know it's just all the tension that's in your mind and just <laughs> it's just it's just gone um and then the one thing that i i don't know this is it grinds my gears about some of the people in the bitcoin and crypto community but it's the idea of like using your credit card to buy things like crypto and bitcoin i'm like what are you doing 
<laughs> it's like, oh no, we're shorting the dollar. It's like, no, you're shorting yourself because that interest rate is is going to kill you, right? I mean, they're going to come out like you're going to have creditors after you if you're not paying your bills. And the idea of like the entire system collapsing when like next year is like, dude, I don't think so. This it took us, you know, how many years? Like fifty-one to fifty-two years to get to this point. It's yeah. probably going to take us another fifty, you know, sixty years to get out of it, right? So. I don't know, man. It's all this stuff is intertwined, but it all kind of goes back to the point of origin, which is the break from, from sound money, at least in my opinion. That's right. I I agree. It just, it just impacts every, everything. And when uh, I just, just like you're saying these stories about talking to, to people that don't really understand, I'll never forget uh, this one moment where one thing that you'll find, uh, you know, when you if you're traveling around overseas or you're in conversations with uh, a big international group of people, eventually people start talking about money, right? Because right? everybody cares about money. So conversations come up about like loans and debts and like student loans is a classic one. If you're at hostels, so people talk about that. I remember this one girl said, uh, you know, one one girl was talking about, oh, she was from Norway, I think, and they had some uh, government scheme that was like, you know, you got free education or something and, you know, various European countries and then one girl was from America and she said that she was doing some kind of medical degree and it was like $50,000 per semester. And I was just like, my, everybody else's face was just like shocked. Like, what are you doing? And somebody said to her, don't you think that's a, that's a bit much or that's a problem? And she said, don't remind me. And, and that was just like the second round of everyone being like, oh, so not only do you know it's a problem, you're trying to hide it from yourself facing up to these facts that you're having a great time at this sorority right now, but you've kind of sunk everything else. And that yeah. was obvious to everyone, you know, that she was uh, sort of in denial about it herself. So I yeah. just absolutely uh, crazy. There's a YouTube channel uh, my spouse sent me that's called, I think it's like financial audit or something, but this is, I guess he's a CPA. He sits down with people who are just like underwater and there are some real horror stories and they're just smiling like yeah i'm about like you know half million debt with a big you know big smile on her face like and i'm I'm gonna go buy another you know car or there was one who was an art student and you know he couldn't find work so he's just taking government loan after government loan to finance his life Uh, and it's just absolutely terrifying to some people they would watch it be like ha 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 that's funny what an idiot but then you know on on my side i'm like dude what's you know your your life is tough don't end it (laughs) Yeah, that's yeah, a lack like, of financial education uh, right yeah. there, you know, just didn't get the right advice. It's like it's like any problem, you know, like a medical problem or an addiction, like you said, alcoholism or drugs or anything like that, where if you if you get off on the wrong foot, then things can kind of escalate and the consequences are sometimes delayed. Right. And they but they all come to kind of at once at a crisis moment probably when you're least expecting it or you're already dealing with other things in your life, right? And anyway, this doesn't need to turn into Jeremy's uh, <laughs> life advice show, but for any of our listeners, obviously, yeah, if you're in debt, I'm probably if you're listening to this show, you're pretty aware about finances and stuff, but if you're not, take the time to get some good uh, financial reading and, yeah, pay off the high. Like, it's ridiculous. If your bank is offering you 25% uh, interest loans, which they regularly do, in crypto, that's like the sign of a scam that's going to go bust. But in the banking system, it's legal and you're the one getting scammed. That's what you need to understand. So if anybody is in that position, 
think carefully about that. Like that's the crazy part, right? The fact that it's fucking legal. <laughs> yes. And well, that's okay. So that, let's let's get on to the Operation Choke Point. Then this really comes to what what is and isn't legal. So we have to talk about this Operation Choke Point 2.0, which has been, I think, a bit of a general term. I think a few people have said this, but recently Nick Carter has written these two really good articles where he has broken down um, this operation that is going on by the U.S. government, essentially to attack the crypto industry via this kind of regulation and cutting them off from the banks. So the original Operation Choke Point was in 2013 with the U.S. government illegally pressuring banks to shut down banking services for things that were in a bit on the fringe, bit gray market, like gun shops and poker, Right. So that was the original plan. And then that was a big scandal and stuff. And now, because that has already happened, people are just sort of taken for granted that the government can and should have the power to sort of influence uh, things through the banking system, that it's almost uh, another, what's it called, branch of the government, essentially. So recently, yeah. we've had Silvergate, SVB, Signature, the Credit Swiss stuff has happened. Deutsche Bank, we've covered a bit of that on this show. But you know, for people who are interested, they can go and read read up on all it. And crypto companies are now in this situation where the any banks that are friendly to crypto are getting shut down or, or closed or having you know their own issues, and the exits are slowly shutting off between the two systems. That if you want to use Coinbase or whatever, then trying to transfer around your money. You're, you know, you're getting new limits added or um, the connections are shut off for individuals as well as for large corporations that are trying to do, uh, what's it called again? Not dark pool, um, you know, OTC trades and all that kind mm-hmm. of thing, right? So obviously <laughs> you've had personal experience with this in, in the past. Are you seeing those same hallmarks? Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the one part about like Operation Choke Point 1.0 was yeah they were targeting political opponents as well so it wasn't just like you know the gun shops and all that it was it was trying to hit the points where it's a they call it nudging right you're trying to curb the behavior of people to to do what you want them to do it's very authoritarian in to its degree but it wasn't just the banks that they were doing it. they were also weaponizing the irs to also target you know, certain religious groups and uh, political campaigns and nonprofits, et cetera. So that was, that's the scary part too, is you're using the systems that have been in place, like the, the economic structures as blunt uh, weapons to enforce rules. And that's not a good thing. And in the, in the crypto world, right? The problem that, that I see happening too, is that and I think Balaji does an excellent job of pointing this out is essentially the sink, the, the ship is sinking and what the the federal government and the banking industry is trying to do is sever off the life, the connections to the lifeboats. Right. So if you're still on that sinking ship, you're going down with this talk. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, and that's the part that's like, this is, this is terrible. You know, it's, again, this comes back to, the crisis and confidence in the system itself. Right. And uh, I think it was like 2000, 2001 ish around like 2001, 2008. Um, the SWIFT network was weaponized against, uh, I forgot which, which nations it might've been in like uh, the middle East or something like that. But um, you're, you, the government's weaponizing the tools, like our infrastructure, right. 
as as weapons against other countries and its own citizens. And it's like, this is a very dangerous path we're on. Um, and I think the other reason why that they're trying to blockade these exits is also because of the BRICS uh, system, which is Brazil, Russia, India, China, which has like their own trade routes to circumvent the dollar. And also recently, what is it? Uh, China and Russia signing agreements to do trade in yuan and rubles. Uh, yeah. Saudi Arabia looking to do trade in yuan. And I mean, it's a broad network. Like, what is it? Uh, I think it's like between the BRICS nations, like $26.6 trillion worth of GDP, uh, one quarter of the global land mass to do trade. And uh, something like in, in 2050, it should be seen as like the global economic powerhouse outside the US and European trade routes. And so that's a threat, right? So I don't want, maybe, you know, Uncle Sam is like, I don't want anybody using the dollar. We need to maintain the dollar strength. And so that's, that's maybe on that side, it's like, we need to ensure the security of our currency while at the same time, right? It's like cutting off your nose to spite your face and it's hurting, not helping. But I think in, in these desperate times, and I'm trying to look at things, not from like a, a devious point, like the, the government is personally targeting me. Like I, I already have that side, you know, well and good, but trying to look at it on the other, which is like, this is mostly incompetence, right? This is, you know, people who don't know what they're doing. Like the fed is reactionary. The government is reactionary. They're not forward thinking. They're everything is just a response to, you know, the situation. It's like the house is burning. Okay. Well let's, pour water on it. Right. And not understanding that sometimes you just have to let things burn because you can't control it. Or maybe if you, you talk, you douse water on it, you're going to you know, hit an electrical you know, uh, wire that could make things even worse. You know, it's just, it's just a huge uh, reaction that doesn't help sometimes. Right. Um, and yeah, yeah. I feel bad for everybody who still doesn't get it at the end of the day. It's like, no, it's, it's, this isn't, what's happening now is the end like the it, ends don't happen overnight it's been it takes a long time for things to dry out you know but yeah it, we, we hit that then, that then suddenly yeah yeah and i oh. guess that's i mean one of the things i think is quite strange about all this and i don't know that i have the most accurate view on it or maybe i never will but there's a question of yeah how much is malice and how much is incompetence and there's certainly it's not all uh, created or coordinated, like coming up with the idea that there's this, you know, global plots and so on and so forth. Like there are bad actors in the system and there are bad yeah. actors who are coordinating with each other. But just like everyone, they only have so much influence. Right. So whether whether you're talking about the different nations and how they're sort of jockeying for position or you talk about the banks or the politicians in the US government or whatever it is there's always an element where there's some kind of overall plan. Then there's a lot of ignorance and <laughs> confusion mixed in. And then yeah. ultimately anything that's not anti-fragile, just sooner or later it, it breaks. And that's kind of what we're seeing. I, I don't know to what extent these uh, bank shutdowns and sort of is an attack on crypto in the sense that there's a lined up, you know, team of people that are like, we're going to take down crypto and we're going to do this, this and this. Well, maybe there's some element of that. But then once they start meddling around in the system, 
then this other thing breaks and that other thing breaks and then crypto industry pushes back and it sort of all devolves into a mess right which is ultimately yeah. i think one of the most bullish things for crypto because that's the whole point of decentralization it thrives in that chaotic environment right yeah any any and all hard assets will will do that right so gold even though it's not like pumping to the moon the very fact is that it still works you can still trade you can still move it around like it, it land is the same thing like people will still buy like want you know resources um crypto for sure bitcoin for sure uh i mean even figurines right like now uh, like i collect animation cells that's one thing that i, I love to, to to try to acquire and some of them have been like i mean the valuation that pumps for them is almost like you know an altcoin during altcoin season right yes. just, and i'm just like how how does that work you know an animation cell that used to cost a hundred dollars is now selling for like 50 grand right it's just hard assets are, are there um and the and yeah you're right the, the the idea that the state is trying to attack and thinking that we'll sever the head of this hydra and then the other one pops up is super anti-fragile right it's like it does thrive in this stuff and and people have now seen that it's like oh the, the decoupling has finally happened where crypto and stocks broke right um the traditional markets the, the forex markets like all of the stuff is breaking you know and it's just like the dutch boy trying to put his finger in the dike to prevent you know the leak from happening is yes. like, where am i going to point it next and it's like dude that's you don't have enough fingers and toes to handle this crisis right and i think that yeah you're i, I like that quote never attribute to malice what could be explained by stupidity i think that might be an ayn rand uh, quote yeah. but it explains it you know it, it's it could be both i mean they're not mutually exclusive <laughs> that's, that's right exactly ultimately it is it is a bit of a a bit of a mess i just think yeah so much of it just comes down to the fact that you don't need that many bad actors to have such a huge disproportionate effect because the vast majority of the population doesn't understand sort of the rules of the game to me that's what it comes down to when people are too so i just kind of gave a bit of a defense against being too conspiratorial but the conspiratorial side of it <laughs> has merit in the sense that you know like i'm at this meetup last night trying to explain to a few people how this stuff works and they're looking at me like i'm talking about you know aliens on the moon when i'm talking about a system that they've lived in their entire life right and yeah. you're trying to have that conversation if most people they're busy they're trying to you know go to the basketball game on the weekend and have drinks and see their friend and uh you know go for a run or whatever like people are super busy they don't have time to learn about all this and it was only the creation of crypto that created such a groundswell of people that finally started listening to the same yeah. stuff that the god bugs had been banging on forever so in that environment okay maybe there's not huge you know millions of people out coordinating to create this whole manipulative system but the fact is there is a financial industry and it's evolved and grown over a long time and if most people don't know how it works you don't actually need all of that many people sort of at the top as it were to oh, yeah. keep yeah. the system <laughs> under control if you can just keep the people in ignorance right no for sure as long as you keep them fed with bread and circus yeah you can bread and circus well bread and circus runs out eventually it did in it did in rome so speaking of uh bread and circuses i've got a 
tweet here from Balaji that you mentioned uh, earlier. We got to dig a bit into this. James Medlock tweeted, "I'll bet anyone one million dollars that the U.S. does not enter hyperinflation." All right. Well, James, first things first, you have to say what time frame, mate. You can't just make a statement like that. You got to. That's fundamentals of bets 101 but anyway and then balachi uh, replied to him and said i will take that bet you buy one btc i will send one million usd this is around 40 to 1 odds as one btc is worth around 26k the term is 90 days all we need is a mutually agreed agreed custodian who will still be there to settle this in the event of a digital dollar devaluation and some more stuff so firstly this is a bit of a nonsense on balachi's point because the other guy should accept immediately because he can get in a no-win situation. All he has to do is buy three Bitcoins. If he has three Bitcoins, then he can give one to Balaji if he loses and his Bitcoins will be worth $2 million. So he's already won. And then obviously if uh, the bet goes the other way, Balaji pays him a mail. So he like... Whoever this guy is, he should have accepted immediately. But I don't know whether Balaji is actually doing this. Uh, I couldn't find that anybody, a lot of people said they were sort of interested in setting something up, but I haven't seen any confirmed like bet come out. But what he explained that he was doing was that all the attention and publicity that came around this, he called ringing the fire alarm on the internet that he was trying to make a sort of public interest statement to generate a lot of hype, which he did, uh, about this issue and the fact that he thinks there will be some hyperinflation in 90 days. So by June 17th, 2023, do you think that's going to get, you know, it's going to get this bad that fast or is this just quality marketing by Balaji? I have uh, no idea on the time frame, right? But I do think that the marketing is definitely top notch. I mean, this is essentially yelling fire in a crowded theater, right? And to an extent, yeah, it's very, very real. I mean, I'm of the camp that we can't exactly say the rules of hyperinflation apply to the world reserve currency. Because that if if that's the case, then you know, we'll never be in hyperinflation because we can just print as much as we want. And then the, the dollars circulate all over the world. You have the euro dollar market. That's also another thing that's out, outside of our control. But to me, I'm like, well, the rules of, of hyperinflation or, or the idea of it, you know, is different when it comes to our world reserve currency, right? We're on a 50 year timeline right now. That's really on the grand scheme of things, a very short period of time. So we've been in hyperinflation just in a very long drawn out scale, right? So to me, it's just like, it's not that we're going into hyperinflation, we are in hyperinflation. It just yes. affects us differently because we're the reserve currency, right? We're the, the point of origin and everybody else gets the fallout, right? So it'll take for, it's like a, a when a nuclear bomb explodes, right? That hot point, that center point is just, you know, radioactive and just steaming hot. Everybody else really feels that impact, you know, a little bit more um, intensely as well. Cause like we, we just yeah. been, yeah, we've been vaporized. We don't know we're vaporized. It's just, we're vaporized. <laughs> and then everybody else is having the blowback. Uh, so for me, I'm just like, yeah, we are in hyperinflation. We've been in hyperinflation, right? It's just, we're drawn out. Everybody else feels it differently. Um, 
I don't know about the 90 days. I, I, from what I heard from a couple of people and what I've read, it's just that's when certain treasuries are expiring, but also the fact that Fed now is rolling out in July, around that time too, which is a de facto CBDC. And if it's not the de facto CBDC, then it is the framework for it. Because from the other things that I've understood, from what I've read and understood, and the last thing I heard was from Caitlin Long, on uh, she put out a statement that she's been doing some interviews, and essentially, uh, what Signature Bank had was the, the was a product called Signet, which was a, uh, a banking program that allowed for twenty four seven banking. They had their API that they used with other clients, etc. And that is in direct competition to what the Fed now is doing. So that issue is like it's not just the ninety days to hyperinflation, but it's like the ninety day cutoff before Fed now rolls into play. And maybe that's kind of the, the smoke and mirrors. It's like hyperinflation here, but really it's the CBDC here, and we don't want to call it out because you know people on Balaji's level, like in the high net worth area, that's that's a target on your back immediately. So maybe in this way, it's to get people to start moving and getting out of, of the fiat system before that the gates really close, right? And I can see that, that that times up, that winds up a million. I don't know. Again, it's like, that's, what's the cost of milk? What would be the cost of gasoline and food? Um, it might go to the, to the market first and assets pump and, you know, but then it trickles out eventually. So I, I don't know. It, the, the, the quote, I was mentioning earlier before the start of the show, uh, it's an existential quote. I think it might have been Kierkegaard who said this, but um, life is understood backwards, but we have to live it forwards. And I think that applies to economics just as much, is that we don't know what's happening in the future. We can kind of guess but that's all it really is, but we understand it after the fact, like what happened. Yes. Yeah. So that's something that... Um, yeah, I, I can't see the future. Balaji maybe has more inside baseball than, than most. So I take it with a grain of salt. But at the same time, it's like the fiat system is the fiat system, whether he says it or not. Right. And that's sort of the main point. It's going to break. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah it, so with the CBDCs, then uh, obviously we're kind of on this show, maybe for the last. Yeah, maybe maybe about that amount of time we've been sort of speculating. Obviously, it's going to come. Heads up to everyone. Again, it kind of comes back to that cascade of information. You know, <laughs> a certain percentage yeah. of people are very aware this is coming. A lot of people are loosely aware. Oh, yeah, maybe that's a thing. And a lot of people are going to be like, wait, what? <laughs> uh, so there's a big uh, spectrum that's going to go on there. And there's obviously a lot of questions about how smoothly or how... Um, widely it will be rolled out on a country by country basis all this all this kind of stuff uh you said about fed now in june or july what do you feel is going to be the sort of rollout status and impact of the cbdc's are we going to see it all hit at once is it going to be oh we're now trialing a new system with people at this bank that how do you see it all going down uh, I see it as a perfect mousetrap, right? So it's going to be voluntary, you know. And I, uh, from what I understand, Fed now rolls out to financial institutions, so like banks, and then it goes out to businesses. So it might be between like, let's say BlackRock and uh, Bank of America. There was a list of, I think, 12 banks that were participating in the trials uh, 
in the beta test that was happening earlier this year in January. Right. So those banks will probably roll in to sign up for Fed now and they'll probably create APIs and their customers will be like, oh, this is great. I don't need PayPal anymore. I can do banking 24 seven, et cetera. And then maybe eventually it, it would trickle down into the retail market. Um, I don't know. So I was I'm try, still trying to look this up, but I guess there's like a charter that says that uh, the Fed cannot like have individual accounts with the citizens or something of that nature. I have to look into it more, but essentially I see that it's just, I mean, the marketing that Fed now has been putting out is like very friendly, warm. We call it a bait and switch in the marketing world, right? It's like, Hey, yeah. this is all wonderful and nice, friendly. And you know, then, you know, everything is just closed in on you and you don't know what, what happened. That's the, it's the mousetrap. So I see that happening. Um, as far as the actual CBDC coin itself, I mean, there's there's a few different papers that are put out. One's by MIT and the Boston Fed. Then there's a couple other ones. I, I don't know which one it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. there's a few of them out there I've been trying to sort of get my hands on and read. And like, I don't know which one is which, where, which way we're going. It could be any of them, could be all of them, could be none of them. Um, but essentially it's like once you have that cbd I, to me it's like game over if you're still stuck in the fiat system then the only way for you to get out of it uh is you're going to have to like barter your way into the crypto world right yeah. so you have your bank account you want bitcoin well you know you're gonna to have to find someone who's willing to part with it right and that might mean like that person on the other side of the trade needs a bicycle or a car or food and you have money that can still transact and get those things. So that type of economy will probably spring out. Um, or people will go to jobs that are paying in Bitcoin, you know, and say, okay, well, I don't want to be in this fiat world. I'm going to have to, I'm going to look for a job where they do pay in Bitcoin because maybe the founder or the, the CEO or, you know, whatever company was smart enough to buy it. Right. Or, something of that nature, like more peer to peer than originally thought. So, I mean, in one way it helps, you know, on the crypto side of the world, right? It hardens it. It definitely kickstarts that economy system, you know, versus like being stuck. Like I cannot leave. Right. And yes, I, I feel like this is where more people should be getting into Bitcoin, like immediately, like right now, you know, just the gates are closing get as much as you can, right? If you're an entrepreneur as well, like, and you want to you know, secure the future of your business and being able to transact, it's like move, move as much of your capital out of the bank. So when things do happen, you know, and that's the thing, it's no longer a matter of if, now it's just a matter of yes. when. That's the big thing. It's like, yes, when the thing happens, right? You're ready and prepared. But during those transitions, it's important that people are still educating, right? In educating to the point of like, look, yeah, there's the historical context, there's the technical concept, but that's not what people should be worried about right now. What people should be worried about are a, a few points, which is, you know, basic usage, right? How to, how to be secure and how to transact privately, right? Those are, that's all they need to know, you know? And then eventually as they, as they use it more and more, they'll get proficient and comfortable and then they can start going into the historical context. Then they can start looking at the technicals. Then they can start doing it. But right now, it's just like, dude, get your ass moving, right? Just yeah. somebody's trying to lose weight. The best thing to do is just get your ass to the gym. 
that's it. Who cares if, if you're, you're not able to lift, you know, a hundred pounds or something. It's like, just, just move the bar. It's better than nothing. You know, yeah. get out of debt. That's builds the habit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I exactly. think that's under appreciated, you know, I think in the, maybe not by you and me perhaps, but even in the broader crypto ecosystem, like we talked about with people not really walking the walk is the actual, what it means to be running a parallel system. Like, I don't think that people have really kind of clicked with that. Like the banks could literally all switch off and the Bitcoin miners are not going to freak out. The nodes are not going to fuck up. The Bitcoin community is going to, you know, already obviously be, you know, responding to the changes, but things will still work. That's going to be the real proving point. And that's when I think people are going to obviously realize, wait, this is what they've been talking about this whole time. Yeah. When the alternative is actually switched off, you know. And it can happen at any time. That, that's the thing, right? I mean, bank holidays were, you know, sort of invented for that very fact to like smooth out you know any bank runs right and the problem with our bank runs today is it's all digital and it moves at the speed of clicks you know and the the legacy system's not ready for that and if you look at what happened in cyprus if you look at what happened in argentina one day you're going to a bank get some cash the next day the bank's closed you can't you know for no reason and also uh people aren't I mean, if that happens on the physical level, let's see what happens on the digital level, right? Just remove that. That's a few keystrokes. You don't have to have the banker go down to the bank anymore and lock up the doors and say, we're, we're closed. Now it's just from his bedroom, right? Gets the, the notification, hey, we got to do this. And, you know, IT team click and that's it. It's, it's, that's it's off. Game, game over. All right. So one final point I got to make about uh, Balaji, which I had not noticed before, but just for all my Bitcoin cash listeners, is that Balaji has got the laser eyes on his Twitter picture and one of them is green. One is orange and one is green. I've never seen that before. I'd never noticed. I didn't know that, but Balaji knows. He he knows about busy. I, my uh, conspiracy theory is that he's starting up this big panic. And when he did that interview with Pomp, uh, he talked about... Uh, we've got to just get everybody onto into Bitcoin on chain, non-custodially. And he was trying to hype that. And he, and he even said something along the lines of, oh, well, uh, once that starts to happen seriously, we'll have to see about Lightning Network or about other options. He said something along those lines. I, there's a, you know, he was certainly involved at the time of the, the fork and everything. So he he's aware of it. Obviously, this is the yeah. Bitcoin Cash yeah he knows he knows this is the bitcoin cash podcast so i gotta ask you about this the bdc mempool and stuff i mean we're talking a big talk here about okay uh you know once uh the banks switch off and stuff we're all going to be ready but the fact is like btc it's already at capacity we've already been seeing fees going up in the last couple days we've had up to 240 blocks of backlog transactions inscriptions uh, for ordinals has obviously massively accelerated that because those guys are taking up tons of space and willing to pay you know hundreds of dollars to get regular transactions or like large larger transactions onto the the blockchain so we're potentially going to see in the next couple weeks couple months the first fee crisis on bdc that has been outside of a bull run previously it's only happened when everybody's euphoric and the price is going to the moon. So everybody's paying more and more and more until eventually it gets too much. And then the whole thing collapses, the price collapses and, you know, we go into crypto winter, right? But when now at, there's enough backlog demand and that it might just be all the time, 
do you think this is going to create uh you know awareness in the bdc community about what's the scaling plan or is lightning network ready and also have you personally been impacted if you're living on bitcoin have you noticed these rising fees and you know payment delays and so on yeah uh so i mean my maybe i'm not your your typical bitcoin user right for for me i'm just like if it's gonna break let it break right like i I feel like we can only make things better by being honest about stuff and saying, Hey, there are problems here and we need to fix them. Right. Or we need to harden and improve it. But if everybody's just going to be like, la 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 la, I don't want to hear it. It's not, nothing's going to work. And that's a problem. But I do think for the developers and, you know, the miners and everybody that's involved in this, Hey, seeing this is, you know, it's, they're aware people are aware of it. And, making any type of changes is definitely going to be a process, which is fine, but I'm glad, I'm glad to see it. And if there's people who are, you know, all the, the talkers, right. That are, are, you know, blabbing on about it. I'm like, look, here's a wake up call, right. See that there are issues, see that there's, you have to start getting involved to help, you know, make this, you know, make improvements. Right. Um, it's an open source protocol. Everybody can contribute. You know, stop jerking off, you know, on camera, on podcasts, on your newsletters and blogs and start, you know, contributing. Right. Um, so on that front, yeah, I think uh, this is definitely raising awareness for them. Uh, the second one in terms of fees, again, this would be like if you're using dollars as the metric or if you're using Bitcoin as the metric. If it's in terms of well, dollars. It's then, rising yeah, in it's, sats too. It's not just rising in yeah. dollar terms. Right. Exactly. So it, it's. But the majority of people will look at it in terms of dollars, right? Yes. And so that's another part where it's like, let's let's start thinking about the sats in turn, right? And you know, stop breaking away from dollars. And in that case, it's not that terrible, right? But most people, majority of people, are still thinking in terms of dollars. So that's one thing I think will start to bring more awareness of we can't use the dollar as the unit of account anymore. We can't use that as the metric because it, it, it doesn't really work, right? Especially if you're trying to move funds out. And the other part is that, yeah, the bull run, when people are moving, you know, to try to get their gains, right? Is one thing everybody's euphoric, but in this one, it's panic, right? Yes. And this is where I guess that Austrian economics, you know, diamond versus water debate kind of comes in, right? Everybody's thirsty, you know, diamonds are great when, when times are good, but now you're thirsty and how much are you willing to pay for that drop of water? Right. So we're, we're seeing Austrian economics in play full force and, you know, how much is this worth to you? Right. And maybe, yes. maybe the pain in that, at least this is my, my train of thought is it makes people, reconsider the things that they're trying to purchase the things that they're trying to do and saying is this worth it right like how much am i willing to pay for this night out at the movies right <laughs> you know it's fun it's all the stuff but if i'm going to have high transaction fees is this can i do something alternative right can i spend time with my wife can i spend time with my kids can i you know spend time with my parents is there a different way of thinking you know because the problem with our fiat system is that it's just so easy right and, and you're not paying the fee, but you're paying with your freedom. And here it's like, there's certain pain points now that I think are good overall, right? 
if it's going to break, let it break, right? If the fees are, are increasing, change the unit of account. If the pain points for the fees that, are too That doesn't high, help, then- though. That's what, that's what I don't understand in this argument is uh, an expensive fee is an expensive fee. It doesn't matter yes. whether you think of it in terms of dollars or sats. So as the sats cost rising, it's going to be untenable to make BDC transactions. And like you're saying, maybe that changes people's uh, spending behavior, but it can also just change their preference of crypto. Do you think people will be more open to Dash or BCH or Monero if their fees are just going up like this? Personally, I think, and this is is something I've been thinking about a lot, is uh, privacy too, right? And I think multi-coin usage is probably going to be the best way to maintain your privacy. Right. Yes. Yeah, because if you're tra- yeah. right, because if like you're only transacting in one currency, okay, that uh, that has certain uh, security, privacy, scalability issues, right? But if you're using different types of currency and you're breaking up, like t- uh, one thing that I've recently come to is uh, pattern recognition and time attacks, right? So if you're constantly doing the same thing over and over again, you're openly making yourself a target, right? If especially if you're moving large amounts of funds you know, and the timing attacks. But then if you're switching the network, right? Like, okay, I'm not, it's like VPNs, right? I'm going to use uh, VPNs in the US. Oh, but now like traffic is heavy. Let me go over to a VPN based in like Switzerland or something, you know, and just kind of bouncing around. Because ultimately no coin has perfect privacy or perfect security or perfect network transactions, you know? So you're going to have some folks who, you know, we'll use Monero, we'll use uh, Bitcoin Cash, we'll use Litecoin, we'll use all these things. And honestly, like, I don't see that as bad either. I think that's, especially if we can't solve the privacy issues on most coins and chains, it's like something has to work, right? It's like, I kind of take this analogy. Um, So my dad, you know, when he would walk around, you know, just, just out in the street, like he'd have his debit card, but then he'd also have cash. And then for really, really like things hit the fan, you know, he had a gold coin in his pocket, you know, because yeah. you never know, you really don't. And like, I don't know what the future is going to hold. I don't know what things are going to you know, work or break, but uh, you have to be flexible in order to keep moving forward. Right. So I, I think it's yeah. good to many, especially like for somebody like me, I'm all in, right. I don't have a bank account, you know, if I need to pay with USD, like I need to have that token to on-ramp onto USDC, right? So that's either going to be like Ethereum, Tron, Matic, or whatever. You need it, right? So, yeah. hey, that's in the back pocket. Load up on the USDC or the Tether or whatever the case may be to send it out, right? Um, and then the other part that I never understood with people is like, you could just, you could just swap, you know? Well, you can, unless the fees are too high, though. That's the exact point. If the if you have, let's say, a thousand dollars of BDC, and the fees are now two hundred dollars per transaction, you know, because you're doing a multi-input one where you're trying to get all your funds out, and everybody's trying to do that at the same time. Not everybody gets out, or every a lot of people below the threshold that their money can actually work. So that that wouldn't work. Not for everybody. Right. So, I mean, so, so you're case- setting yourself up to get. Screwed well, so, like- so hold on. So- I have BTC that I have mm-hmm. been unable to move. I don't want to hold BTC. No. I can't move it and haven't been able to move it for multiple years because first off, it's sitting in a custodian somewhere and the fees that they've set to move it 
are more than the actual BTC that I have. So right. this BTC is now worthless to me. I've written it off. It will never hit the network again. And I'm sure people will thank me for making their sats more valuable or whatever. Right. But it's a worthless form of money for me. And there's so many, uh, like, I'm a little riled up here because I feel like we've been building on assumptions, on assumptions, on assumptions. And mm -hmm. I, I don't agree with some of them. Um, but the, the like, having... I experienced the fee crisis in 2017. And at that point, right. I was like, okay, I don't want to use this anymore. And I worry about the people, especially if we have a situation with bank runs and hyperinflation and all this, that people are going to try, like, they'll get into BTC and that'll mm -hmm. be, they'll be stuck there. And then it'll just be burned money and they have to, they'll have a, a bad taste of all of cryptocurrency because they'll be like, well, if this one has high fees, why won't, why would this one be different? And most average people aren't going to look into the technical details of scaling, right? Mm -hmm. And then if we were to say, well, lightning could be the solution here. Well, for everyone to even get on lightning, it would take 40 years. How is that uh, like an appropriate solution? And I think there's some validity to the multi-coin thing, but I think it's better off to have one shared currency um, and the altcoins or the vast like uh, division of different cryptocurrencies really in my mind is only a benefit as far as censorship resistance goes. If one coin starts to get censored, we'll try another right. one, try another one, try another one. You could probably outrace the cat if you're the mouse here. Yeah, I'll stop from there. I hear what you're saying, like both of you guys, like I'm not uh a developer i'm not a coder and i can only like my experience with bitcoin has been pretty good like the lightning network for my end has worked you know but i'm very well aware and cognizant of that it doesn't work for everybody in certain places right and some people have been asking me you know like hey should i move my hodl funds to you know lightning i'm like no don't do that like i'm like dude i'm not a financial advisor also i don't know right i don't know what works for for certain individuals right and yeah, and I do think for the same way of like, if somebody's going to get into a, a currency and it's too expensive to use, that's a problem, right? And for me, I'm like, dude, I, I hear you and I'm with you and developers, you know, people need to, to hear this as well. I mean, if it's moving from Bitcoin, you know, maybe not going to use Bitcoin or they're going to use Bitcoin cash to move faster or they use Lightning or they use Dash or whatever. Like me personally, I, I don't care like what people use. What I care is that you're not in fiat and you're not supporting the system. And as far as like the Bitcoin, you know, issues of scalability and problems go, it's like, I do hope things, you know, resolve. I don't know what those answers are. Right. Yeah. And I won't pretend to know. Like I, I'm not that smart. To figure well, that's this just the interesting, uh, that's the interesting thing about all this, right. Is that, yeah. uh, obviously you can go back all in history. You know, I'm totally on board with, it. I a hundred percent, I agree with you that ultimately everybody getting out of fiat is the, is the end game. It doesn't really matter. You know, people will find what works. I, I like that, you know, um, approach right and that's the same one we have here i'm obviously you know anybody who's in any crypto is already on our side more than uh yeah. more than we can know but uh, what i just find amazing is that in the bdc community there's this kind of split where on one hand you have people you know who are essentially you know uh, running the bitcoin core and stuff that they, they've designed this, this this situation this is not an accident this is how they want it and that's why there was a fork in the first place because they said this is going to be our plan and everybody said that's never going to work 
and now it's not working or it's starting to really buckle under the pressure. And a lot of the rest of the community, such as yourself, kind of say, oh, well, maybe we'll hope for a solution in the future. Like, where's the solution was to switch to an alternative because hope they're not going to change their minds. The ones yeah, who well, I mean, that's the, the same thing with, to do. Yeah, it's like with Litecoin, right? Litecoin was a solution that, that uh, yes. did its own thing. But what I mean, like, it's not a one day, someday, but it's like, let's say, for example, you know, the lightning scalability problem, right? People understand that. I'm really just trying to understand this myself, you know, and, and building my own thesis around this. And yeah, the larger things get, the more centralization tends to happen, right? But, you know, also that could be said for, I mean, look at Ethereum. Ethereum is scaled astronomically, but it's become yeah. pretty centralized, right? And I think yeah. that's the issue is no matter what, like even if we have bigger blocks, even if we have bigger chains, essentially the larger the network gets, the more resources it's going to take and all roads will end up leading to centralization, right? In the end. And to some, part, yeah, with a, yeah, with a some, lot of caveats. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't, again, like that's just the very general like assumption or my guess anyways, is that eventually everything is going to end up being centralized. And that's why I'm like, you know, right now, multi-coin, you know, to get around things or to do other parts is, you know, especially for privacy is a good thing. Um, and what I mean by like BTC, it like working on a solution is like, hey, look, if if it means increasing blocks, okay. If it means doing this, all right. Like the hardest thing any human being can ever say is five words. It's like, I'm sorry, I was wrong, right? Maybe. <laughs> yes, yeah, know? for sure. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, it is for anybody. Like, uh, yes, I agree. I, I think that, but I also think too, there's one where it's like the rush, you know, and this, I've had some interesting conversations with a couple of devs, right? And, and this is like scaling solutions. It's not just thinking about tomorrow, it's thinking about like, you know, decades in advance, which to me, I'm just like, well, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what happens at the end of the year, you know? Yes. Um, so it's an engineering question that I don't have solutions for. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm a user of the product. I'm not the product manufacturer itself. And I like BTC, yeah. like it's been good for me. It's worked for me. And, you know, if, and as far as like community goes, like I'm more of a subscriber of like, I'm a freedom maxi. I'm not like yeah. a currency or blockchain maxi. Like, I'm sorry, I'm, I, I've, I've been in those camps before you know, especially when it came to like gold and silver bugs. And it's like, we were very closed minded to anything. And now I'm just like, look, I need to do what has to work. Right. So to me, it's like, I don't care what coin you use first, just get out of fiat period. Right. And let the free market do what it needs to do, you know, and that's allow the competition to happen. You know, if BTC is going to scale or if it's going to find alternative routes to making transactions smoother, if this means like, uh, I know SegWit was also super contentious because that's another thing that I've been learning in the Bitcoin world is that you have super hardcore fundamentalist that like SegWit is not good, right? And then SegWit's, you know, uh, you know, other people are very anti that. And then even with this, like, you know, the on-chain maxis as a whole, it's like, well, I'd rather SegWit than Lightning. I mean, it's so fragmented, you know? And then right, like, yeah. yeah, it's like, and aside from that, then you have other coins on top of it. So for me, I'm just like, look, I'm keeping it simple as far as my usage goes. I don't know what works for other people, right? I don't know what their situations are. I don't know. I don't know. That's the end of the day. It's just, yeah. 
you know, we, we have so to, we, we don't know, we don't know, but we can, we can guess, right. My question is what, how high would fees need to get regularly on the main chain or perhaps even on lightning network because fees have been rising on lightning over time. I mean, people are trying to put up guides about how to earn fees from lightning routing, which is kind of a paradox with lightning is the, is the low fee thing, but also we're yeah. going to earn fees on lightning. Like somebody has to be paying those fees that you're earning. Right. So uh, what, I, I think it needs to uh, get to a high yeah. point. Like, I mean, really high where people get angry and yes. things start to break. Like that's me. And I want things, if it's going to break, let it break, you know, like, what would that be? Five, um, $5, $50, $100, $300. No how, idea. how expensive a transaction. Well, aren't you using Bitcoin all day, every day? Wouldn't you know, like I make five transactions a day. It would cost me, you know, $50 if they were $10 each. I don't know. I mean, no numbers. Like my, so here's my situation. Like I, I understood like what, especially when ordinals was coming about, I knew that stuff was happening. And that my assumption was I knew that the blockchain was going to start getting bigger. Right. So I made the attempts already to put myself in like on a lightning network. I've also moved to some cash to, or funds rather not cash, but like funds over to a couple other coins just in case too. But this is me yeah. being sort of that, that prepper mindset. So I'm like, yeah, pragmatic. You know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's like, so if for me, it's like I moved, uh, you know, some funds over to, to my lightning node and it's like, it only cost me 30 cents. Right. Yeah. And there are days where it's like, it's a dollar, but this is me being again, the pragmatist and I'm, I'm looking for my solutions because that's what works for me. But for someone else, you yeah. know, I'm talking to a guy yesterday. He's like, yeah, it's going to cost me like, uh, you know, $10 to move like this much amount of funds over to the network. I'm like, yes, well, I mean, dude, are you paying attention? Are you seeing what's happening? Like, I can't help you on that. You know, they can come to me and, and bitch and moan, but at the end of the day, it's like, it's your personal responsibility. It's not mine. I'm sorry, man. Like, and then also, uh, if you're yeah, trying I mean, to, I don't know. I don't know how convinced degree. I am by that. I was, like, obviously, yeah, you can say, look, I'm sorting myself. You sort yourself. You didn't understand that this lightning network, you know, thing was coming, but to the extent that anybody who's, um prominent in a community or if you're advocating for this then people are obviously going to see you as somewhat of an authority and they're going to obviously you can't help everyone with everything right yeah but if people are coming to you and saying look i love what you're saying about this alternative currency stuff but i tried using it and it sucks and you just say well you're on your own like I, no. i'm just struggling <laughs> no. to see where the yeah. where the thing is why why something like the bitcoin cash community or the litecoin community aren't connecting with you more strongly to take that stuff seriously because we we do you know the engineers and the philosophy and stuff is very different and so everybody like when you're saying you don't know if uh more people come on then the blocks are gonna break like we we do know we've seen it happen on bdc multiple Time, multiple times what's yeah. the solution you know then it goes into the whole thing right so um that that's just why i'm i'm kind of uh interested in thinking about exploring but yeah. anyway i know you have to go uh soon yeah. uh we're kind of coming up to the end of our yeah. time uh, you want to give I, some uh shout outs or yes. if you've got longer we can go longer as well well i mean i just want to say like uh, like when it comes to the individuals and they have some issues like again i tried to do the best that i can and provide some yeah. some context or solutions for them but it's like in a general broad scope like dude i don't Right. It's like, I, I can't help you on that one. Um, but you also said something too, which is like the, like the Bitcoin cash, the Litecoin, the dash community, like in the Z cash, Monero, like all of them. I don't know if this is because 
things are so emotional right now, right? Like just as a society, as, as a whole, like things are breaking and, and, you know, nobody really knows what's going on, but like all the fragmentation and tribalism for the most part is like, that's either going to help or it's going to hurt. Right. And I know in the very beginnings of it all, or at least what I, what I've read, I don't, I, I wasn't there, but uh, was it, you had like the Litecoin community who helped out the BTC community and other, other communities would help each other to make things better and harder. Right. And so that's, that's the thing I'd like to see more of as well. It's like, Hey, you know, like, well, like us, for example, we, we share yeah, ideas exactly. and we talk about this stuff. And it's like, why, and again, maybe this is like the whole concept the things are breaking and we're, we're all responding and reacting to this on a global scale and not just like between like you and myself. But again, like you asked some pretty, pretty damn good questions. I don't have answers to, but I'm hoping, you know, that somebody who's listening to it's like, oh, actually, like maybe this is something we haven't thought of or this is another approach that has worked, but there's also issues down the way, right? Like this is such a, I'd say it's such a huge thing, right? Uh, it's, it's way bigger than any one of us or any one coin, right? And it's like, how do you how do you move from that fiat enslavement camp into a world where you're personally responsible and free? And like, those are those are some really massive questions, right? I'm just an artist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, nothing, nothing's perfect, uh, you know, and, and I'm glad, I'm glad we can have this dialogue. You know, I think it's, it's super, super important. You know, it's obviously just, and they, you're right that historically there has been a lot of division. I think the cooperation between coins stuff to the extent we can do that. Uh, it's, it is really important, but I, I just obviously being on this show, I have to at least make a stab at the fact that the Bitcoin cash community and the BDC community, as much as we can try and cooperate and we're 99% on the same page, you know, that 1%, it came down to a split for a reason. And so when you get to the pointier end of some of these questions as to how are we actually, like we're talking about walking the walk, like the Bitcoin cash community, it's serious. Like everybody in the world being able to use this currency. And once you even do the most basic analysis of, what it would take to have a system that everybody could use it's clear that uh you know <laughs> one megabyte or even four megabyte blocks is definitely not going to do it no matter what trickery you, you come up with and you do have to rely <laughs> on improving computer hardware and so on and so forth right but anyway we'll we'll see that like you say time will just will just play out and you know maybe maybe i'm wrong maybe we're wrong i don't know but uh you know as we as we say we just we'll just run it live in the market and and kind of see what what breaks and what to, like I have no doubt that all chains are going to be getting a lot more volume in the short to medium uh, term as well. So I guess that's the ultimate stress test is sort of reality in that. Yeah, in that sense, I guess right? if there's any one coin that I'm not, I'm, I'm glad I'm not a part of it's Ethereum. It's like trying to yeah. run a node on that one is you know you want to talk about a captured coin like that's definitely one of them. And yeah. Yeah, I, I don't wish that on anybody. Like that's just a that that's fiat three point. Yeah, they're making. I guess that's right. Yeah, I mean, uh, certainly, yeah. Home home nodes is is pretty out of the question uh, yeah. with, with Ethereum. And I I would actually love to do some more analysis of uh, of that and really dig into the detail. You know, there's a lot of stuff around the archival nodes, and the problem is whenever you ask the Ethereum community about it, 
they kind of have they have a lot of hand waving you know as soon as it's you know i i hate to say it but yeah. it's similar to what you just did about scaling where they if you ask them they'll say oh no there's the um you know the archival nodes and you don't need to run those and there's the once you've decompressed it it's not as much blah blah blah. and once you try like samson mao uh, i've got to give him credit on this if you get anytime he has a debate with a uh, an ethereum person about eth nodes it's a he just slaughters them because they they can't like once it gets to the hard questions they don't have good answers so uh it's, anyway interesting to see but yeah if you got a if you got to bounce oh i was going to do an extra yeah. like, little uh segment with jet but give a shout out uh for yourself where people can find you you know all your sub stack and everything on twitter where where, where can people find you so you can find me on twitter at rare passenger then you can find me on Substack at livingonbitcoin.substack.com. And I'm just sharing my personal, yeah, I'm just sharing my personal experiences and things that work for me, you know, and in the hopes that, you know, someone can either improve upon it or it helps people to get off the fiat farm. Um, I mean, it is just my thoughts, ramblings, and insights into my experience at that point. And I try to make it as approachable as humanly possible without uh getting into so much detail on technicals it's just for the average joe and jane that are looking for something else yeah absolutely okay well we'll have links to that stuff uh in the description and yeah i recommend everyone to check it out as i referenced on the show i was reading some of it uh, earlier and it's actually really good stuff and you're, you're definitely walking the walk so I'm very glad you're you're on our team. <laughs> you know, as we observe the collapse of, of banking in our era. <laughs> I know. That's uh we live in interesting times. <laughs> That's it. May you live in interesting times. And I'm sure uh in you know a year, two years, five years, we'll, we'll be able to run it back and it's gonna be very interesting to see see how things uh play out. Yeah. Oh hey man, it was great. Thanks for having me on. And uh Jet pleasure to meet you too thanks for for making this a really good show and uh yeah i hope we get to chat again bud thank you yeah I, thanks uh, man we'll, we'll chat some more i, I follow right, you on twitter i'll be i'll be giving you spicy responses to your tweets from here <laughs> <laughs> all, all bets are off on twitter you know it's all fun and games face to face but uh twitter's serious man. <laughs> yeah. all right thank guys. you very much just joking all right cheers guys catch you soon man okay all right so yeah, obviously we we started the show a little bit late uh, for technical problems on on our end. That wasn't a Esteban's fault, so we didn't get time to get through all, all the last uh, segments uh, with him. But I, I wanted to do them anyway because I think we've got some some good stuff here, uh, and I yeah, I'm sure uh, there's there's a bit of value in this. So we had a kind of we were getting onto it a bit there, but we have a slide on updates on the Lightning Network. So. Amid fee pressure, Lightning Network success is more important than ever. That's why I was trying to ask about that a bit. And there is a tweet here from this guy, Carman, at Ben the Carman, who said, ransom in analytics on Zaps on Nostra. It's quite terrible. So Zaps is Lightning Network transactions or tips, I assume, on Nostra. Uh, around 95% of users have their Lightning address set to a custodial wallet. Around 91% of all zaps by volume have gone to custodial wallets. At Wallet of Satoshi is the clear winner of 50% of users and 67.5% of volume. So as much as the idea is to have a non-custodial, non-banking system, the Lightning Network certainly seems to be degenerating in that 
in that direction. And as far as I'm aware, there's not really a plan to get out of that. But clearly the numbers are starting to get to the point that it, it kind of can't be ignored on the BDC side. Uh, obviously, with the main chain having congestion and fees and then Lightning Network increasingly being recognized within the BDC community as being heavily custodial, that things things are start, starting to kind of wake up a bit uh, to what's going on. So Joel uh, replied, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, Esteban and I were talking a bunch about Joel, uh, the, the de- at the Desert Links, he runs the Digital Cash Rundown, a uh, great guy, and I highly recommend you check out his content. He replied to that earlier tweet, and he said, the BitPay data shows the same thing. Lightning Network users are overwhelmingly using custodial services. Bitcoin needs to start exploring different scaling methods ASAP before we end up with fractional reserve banking 2.0. And that's kind of what I was trying to get at in the conversation we were just having. Uh, Obviously, there wasn't really all that many answers because it's not even just about the solution to the problem. It's also about getting to the solution. So having the community channels to discuss it, having a process for implementing a technical change, you know, that's all, it's not even like if the BDC community decided, oh, we're going to do this thing to fix the problem. Like he said, it's not really clear how you would propose that, who would need to be in the loop, who would need to agree. Would it just be kind of a decentralized mess, which is the current approach, which has got them this far, but I don't know that it's going to get that much further. Uh, yeah, thoughts, Jet? Uh, not so much about this, but, but, All right. uh, oh, hold on. Next hold thing, on. next thing. Hold, hold what on. about the next one? I really right. wish that we had a little more time, uh, with Esteban. I feel like we really could have gotten to the, the core of the argument if we just had an extra half an hour to an hour. And I'm glad you acknowledged the hand waving, um, be, and I, I also think he's right. He he really can articulate things well. Uh, and I think that that's his superpower. And I would love for him to on, especially on a live stream where you see people's live reactions, right? I would love to get to that bottom of the argument and be like, okay. Uh, like as an example, um, I was late getting paid for work uh, over the past week. So I emailed them. They were late by quite a bit too. So I was like, hey guys, you're almost breaking labor laws here. What's going on? And they mentioned that the payment system that we use isn't really reliable. And I felt like that's a perfect opportunity to be like, okay, well pay me in Bitcoin cash then. Uh, Why would I, as an employee, accept payment in a currency where the fee would be almost an inherent tax in in my income? Like... So little things like that, I really wish we could just go further into. And and uh, yeah, so maybe. <laughs> well, what we, got, what we seem to get to, I think, is my greatest observation is that once once you get to the edge of the argument, it kind of comes down to, I don't know. And that's, that's great. I'm <laughs> kudos to him that he was very honest about that. I don't know. It was. And I, also, yes, we didn't we didn't really have enough time to go into it and and discuss any more. But it would be interesting. And like he said, he he obviously said he already has a stash of a few other coins, so he's already thinking one step ahead. And maybe actions speak louder than words. That he's certainly not any sort of you know toxic uh, maximalist or anything. So that that that's great. It's just going to be the case more and more that 
it, because we just did that debate, right, of uh, Shinobi and Cyprian, and it was kind of the same thing where Cyprian had his number, and as soon as he got into the edges of where he knew, he just started saying, oh, we all just make retarded comments on, on Twitter. That was his kind of uh, stonewall of, I'm out, I've run out of answers. Yeah. And Esteban at least is a bit more honest than that and just said, I don't know, and then also, I'm not a developer. But he still knows a lot about Bitcoin, whatever he says. And it's the arguments are not that complicated that him or anybody else couldn't understand it just in terms of if you've got a fixed cap, fees, ha fees have to go up. It's that simple uh, as more transactions try and get on the network. And once people fail with that, they switch to alternatives. That was kind of where I was uh, going. But yeah, I guess we just didn't have the time to get into it all in all in detail it's hard, hard to do it on a live show um for sure as well especially for him uh, being you know this is obviously my show you're on it all the time you know we we're in our comfort zone it's it's harder as well um for him but anyway uh, i'm sure over time he'll he's certainly absorbing a lot of this uh, information i've seen that on on twitter and, and so forth so i expect he'll uh he'll pay more attention to the sort of Bitcoin cash because he's right as well. There's, it's not good that there's been division and the split up network effect yet again. That mm -hmm. was another hallmark of the block size war where if we kept everyone on the same page, we, none of this would even be an issue. The only problem is because BDC was got captured and it's the market leader, then we have to reform the network effect somewhere else yeah. and everybody disagrees. And so they're all in different camps but the idea is to get everyone back on the same page with bitcoin cash it's just very unfortunate that i think that that's where we should do it and that's where probably most of the listeners think we should do it but not where everybody else can agree and they think it's monero and we think this monero's got problems and they think bitcoin cash has got problems and here we are <laughs> but even if you were to take away all thought experiments and 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 like hypothetical this and that it's like okay look at the state of the networks today why are you choosing BTC over BCH, right? I think that's a pretty straightforward uh, question. And I well, like he, like he said, uh, you know, he uses bit refill and stuff. It's possible BCH is not available on those, those services. And like he's obviously arranged things so that it works with, with BTC, whatever services he's using, whatever people he's in contact with there, it's a two-sided network effect money, right? So the people he's trades with, they're used to BTC. So then if he goes to them and says, hey guys, I'm switching to BCH, he has to sort of unplug every individual person that he trades with. He could do it uh, in a phased approach as well too, but that would be, then they're gonna say to him, well, if I thought BDC was the thing that was gonna fix everything, if you're coming to me now with BCH, why is next week it's not gonna be something else and something else and something else? So that's a new avenue of problems he's gonna have, which is why if you don't think it, you know, far enough into the future and you put your rep on the line, then obviously you have to take take the L later on. But I don't know. All right, let's go on to the next thing. We've also got here community comment of the week comes from bitcoin magazine <laughs> so we've got a clip here it's uh two minutes long of on one of their recent uh twitter very recent twitter spaces uh with some absolute heresy being spewed out so so uh i gotta give credit to my listeners i'm trying to remember who it was specifically 
maybe it was Omar, but somebody in the Telegram chat surfaced this up and they were listening to it live and they mentioned it in the Telegram chat. So we got a perfect another little clip of the continually changing narrative, uh, what big blockers have been saying since the start, because it's very logical and reasonable and has been banned and censored for years, is now finally under pressure from the rising mempool fees and so on, um, you know, uh, becoming <laughs> an inevitable reality that the BTC side have to have to face. Yeah, that, that's super interesting, Aaron. And uh, maybe just to explain to the audience to the, the broader point that you're making, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, basically what you're saying is due to the size of blocks in Bitcoin, and therefore the number of transactions they can support, uh, uh, it will take you know, X amount of time basically for every human being on earth to have an individual transaction on that blockchain. And that's just a factor of block time and transaction size and block size. Is that correct? Yeah, you can do the napkin math, right? So like if you want a UTXO on the chain, which you need even for Lightning, like even if you want to use Lightning, you need a UTXO on the chain. Uh, and we can have what, like, between, let's say 10, I think 10 is optimistic. I don't remember the exact number, but let's say we can have 10 transactions per second. So now you can sort of do the napkin math. If we want to have seven, eight billion, maybe in a couple of decades from now, 10 billion people will have their own UTXO. So how long is it going to take to record all these UTXOs on the chain? 10 per second. And I think the napkin math would add up like that's going to take. 40 years or something like it's going to take way too long. So, you know, we, that, that's why I'm saying we can't have hyper Bitcoinization, at least not in the self custody way within a couple of years. That's just literally physically impossible. So we're going to have to come up with different solutions if we want to actually achieve that, which, you, you know, as I explained, I think it's at least possible you, you, or at least it seems possible that people would think of stuff to make it possible, but we're not there yet. Yeah. I like to remind people that the best Bitcoin developers have yet to be born yet and the most innovative Bitcoin solutions have yet to be invented yet. So uh, it's one of those things, the longer we live with Bitcoin, the, the, the closer and more intimate we uh, come to understand the workings of the system. So I'm optimistic, Aaron. Yeah, I'm optimistic too. Uh, I think, you know, it's, uh, it's an open protocol. That means anyone can... So we're seeing right there, this is just the very basic, simplest argument that the big blockers said in 2015 and were told that they were evil and were attacking the network and if you're so smart, fork off and they did and then that was also an attack and Bitcoin Cash, despite all its many problems and issues, has run very smoothly with no spikes in transaction fees the entire time, even when there's been high network activity and all that well more than than btc has uh processed per unit time and it's just very telling to me that the btc community they just haven't they're just hoping and praying for a solution bitcoin coders that haven't been born yet what you're talking bloody 2023 <laughs> april you know satoshi 2.0 is going to be born give him 18 years to grow up and learn to program 
which chat GPT has probably eliminated programming from existence by that point. But anyway, then some mega genius shows up in the future and fixes all of their problems for them 20 years later. That's literally just nonsense. And the idea that lightning is going to save them is also obviously being debunked, as you can hear. Even just giving one UTXO to people is already not feasible, let alone the fact that that captures everyone into massive financial surveillance. And that's only if everybody only uses UTXOs to open lightning channels. And that's if you if you can't close a lightning channel, you can get frauded on the lightning network. That's the whole fucking problem. So everybody also needs to be able to close channels. And then what about people making regular Bitcoin transactions? What about all these side chains and liquid and everything else that they say they're going to do? It's just a towering nonsense of of rubbish, uh, basically. <laughs> but that's just dawning on them like step step by step. And so, uh, yeah, I don't know. It just feels like the narrative is just... it's. I'm, Amazing that we're at all-time lows when the Bitcoin cash narrative power is at all-time high. It's like that is a if I could if I could buy narrative instead of the actual coin traded on exchanges, I would because we'd be skyrocketing right now. Yeah, I remember I told my parents yesterday that because uh, I we kind of rehashed the conversation of like, are you overinvested? Blah blah blah. And uh, I mean, I, that's never really been a concern for me. But uh, just that I remember bringing the conversation up to the narratives are getting better. The software is getting better. Like I'm in a way better position now than I was five years ago. So what like it seemed uh, like the conversation was a little beyond overdue or even maybe like premature let's talk again in five years but right now this doesn't matter at all things are going great in bitcoin cash don't acknowledge the price because the price lags behind everything or i guess well you know I'm, that's a lie buy the rumor sell the news kind of thing we'll see i i don't have any pessimism about it though like i see all of these things improving the cohesiveness inside the social space kind of getting better and uh, yeah that's reassuring enough i've been through way worse times in bitcoin cash well, it's just a case of gradually then suddenly, like yeah. we're talking about, and the kind of the Overton window, you know, the reason that I'm so focused on it and I bring it up so much on this show and we find these little clips of things being said here and there is because we're not privy to every conversation that is being had in the world. Nobody is, right? So these little bits that bubble up to the surface are prime indicators that the window of conversation is is shifting. Yeah, and, and the frequency uh, of the Bitcoin, these things coming up too is also increasing. Yes, that's been exciting for me. That's true. Yes, that is also true. So there will come a time, well, it seems we're already sort of at, at the time where the idea that the block size cap means Bitcoin isn't going to scale is now in quotes, like sort of common knowledge or at least acceptable to say and talk about. And uh, that's what this whole... <laughs> show is about following Bitcoin Cash on its rise to global reserve currency. You know, the next steps of that progression are very obvious and we're gonna we're gonna see them play out. It obviously just in my opinion, nobody knows the future, blah, blah, blah. But it's pretty it's pretty obvious, I think, right? The next thing then will be, oh, maybe we need some other scaling solutions. Oh guys, Lightning Network wasn't as good as I thought it was gonna be. We've already seen that from yeah. um Eric Wall, but you'll start seeing that get into the inner circle more of the BTC. That's why Bitcoin magazine it was so important because they are right in the middle of all those laser eyed 
you know kind of kind of guys not the not the fringe ones they're right in the middle so then they'll get to the yeah i don't know maybe we were kind of wrong about lightning network or maybe there'll be some cope like lightning network is useful for some use cases but it can't solve everything and then oh guys i don't know i've considered using litecoin recently or, or blah 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 you know uh that will kind of get in there what about different what about different coins and yada yada and then however long i don't know might be three months might be six months might be two years might be five years but eventually it'll come around to you know the bitcoin cash and maybe that maybe they were right about the block should we increase the block size like what, what do we think about that guys or just temperature check on that obviously the longer they take the more bitcoin cash will have just accelerated further and further ahead instead of in terms of scaling and in terms of tech now we're gonna have cash tokens and having a wallets and ecosystem and more uh promotion and all that stuff right so the longer they take the worse it is for them but they'll they'll get to that point and then it will be well so how would we we, we got to do that right yeah yeah we got to do that so how are we going to do that and then they run into the same problem that we already battled with that the core developers don't want to do it and you don't understand bitcoin and you're a shit coiner and and they're going to have that problem but by the time that's a mainstream opinion in their community you know the goose is already cooked like we were just talking about cbdc's are already out bitcoin cash already has momentum just the lies are just going to be all the price starts collapsing this is all under a scenario where you know price volatility is going to raise fees it doesn't matter whether the price is going up or down on-chain fees are going to suffer from increased volume like uh everyone said about it doesn't matter whether it's a uh, hype or it's panic one way or another they're just going to pay fees and people actually use the chain it's not it's not going to work right <laughs> uh, yeah i don't know what more can be said about it but anyway Listeners can all have fun as we <laughs> follow this step-by-step -step, uh, progression towards Bitcoin Cash will be the global reserve currency. I'm very pleased, by the way, to see that the idea of global reserve currency, that, that was already a bit of a thing uh, before this show. I'm not that I'm literally the first person to ever have said that, but that is well circulated now in the BDC community. I've seen quite a lot of Bitcoin is the next world reserve currency, the next global reserve. The, sometimes they literally say exactly global reserve currency. Sometimes they say world reserve currency. But that idea is in there. Uh, uh, and just obviously that's not feasible technically. And, you know, if you pushed on those points, that's where it would fall apart. But they can at least say that and give people in like fiat the idea that, oh, maybe we're moving to the Bitcoin standard, you know, that maybe that would be feasible. They just need, we just need to hot swap in Bitcoin cash for Bitcoin and get a lot of those BTC people to, uh, I don't know, cope or rethink or whatever, <laughs> come over to the BCH side where it's actually working and feasible and then we'll just take over. So on that uh, note, we have the meme of the week. <laughs> this one is a classic. The, <laughs> the meme is Janet Yellen, uh, obviously during one of her speeches and the meme uh, impact font text is, the mempool congestion is transitory. And this just says it all because it's just like the Fed saying inflation is transitory, which was a complete lie. And the people who were in the know knew that that was a lie. And that's that's the end of the story, really. But the most interesting thing about this meme, even though it's very accurate, the mempool congestion is transitory. That's the story from Bitcoin Core, but it's not. It's only transitory in the sense that people will just move on to other chains but it's going to be congested from now. It's going to stay that way, especially with with volatility. And that's not an accident. That's by design. It's just a lie that has to 
cover it up and saying it's transitory is a way to sort of push the problem down the road a bit until everybody realizes it's a lie, which they do eventually. But the funniest thing about this meme was that it came from this guy, Yuri Kuto at Fruity Muncher, who has laser eyes on his profile picture. So I don't, I don't, how did he come up with this meme? He, he like, he knows his subconscious knows that the mempool congestion is transitory is a lie, but he's still a Bitcoin. What's going on here? Do you think he came up with the meme or he just saw it and giggled? Maybe he doesn't even know why he thinks it's funny. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I just thought it was, I just thought it was fun. I, I did want to ask Esteban about this. I had this one, uh, you know, in the chamber to ask him what he thinks. The mempool congestion is transitory. Isn't that the same as the Fed saying inflation is transitory? But anyway, uh, we didn't get a, we didn't get a chance to really hear about that. All right, message to the community. Do you have a message to the community? Oh, God, not really. I feel good about things. I feel like everyone's been doing good. Stop with the social drama. Like, I'm also, like, leaving. I've already avoided so much social media, but I've also taken a step back from Telegram because people are just going yes. back and forth over silly shit. It's like... Yeah, that's right. It, yeah, it doesn't matter, right? Go touch it grass. A difference. Enjoy a beach day yeah. or something. You don't need to worry about what someone on the other side of the world is doing. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. And I think, yeah, my message is like, we're starting to win in earnest. I'm, we're also starting to get to the pointy end of the fucking financial Armageddon, as, <laughs> Armageddon however you say it, uh, in terms of uh, in terms of Operation Choke Point and it all melting down and stuff like that. Okay, but wait, at the same time, we're so, winning, right? So we had the, the podcast where we talked about like three banks failing and Esteban talked about it going to like 300. Is that, is that just been since the last episode? No. So, well, at the time when those, so there was those three and then there was also like Credit Suisse and um, Deutsche Bank, right? Yeah. They were like having problems. I don't know that they've financially blown up, but what he's talking about is there was a stat in, you know, I'm can't just quote this off the top of the head, but it was in like the re the, if you go and look at Balaji's Twitter thread that we talked about, he has in there quotes and links and all that to the feds or some financial guidance or whatever from last year where they themselves said that 330 of their banks were essentially insolvent because they didn't have the assets to cover like 330 banks have the bonds and the shares or whatever which have now collapsed in value and put them below what the depositors could withdraw so those banks are already insolvent but the reason the way they're keeping the shell game going is by saying yeah but we bought those bonds at a hundred dollars so they're still worth a hundred dollars well maybe now the bonds are worth twenty dollars but until they acknowledge that they're worth twenty dollars then they can just say yeah it's all fine because they don't need to cash them all on that's right yeah unless there was a bank run like happened in those other ones and then it doesn't matter then it becomes a realized loss pretty quickly because people are actually trying to get the money out so there's 330 banks that are already in that situation okay so i need to reassess my but the, own. The, the bank run hasn't started for them yet yeah i remember so when um all the sbf stuff happened i mentioned this on the podcast the Ontario the ontario teachers pension plan had like multiple millions of dollars invested and that was just gone and when the three banks collapsed in the u.s our finance minister 
uh, Christia Freeland or whatever her name is, was like, you know, Canada is, you know, essentially safe. And Canadian banks have so much exposure to American banks that I'm not entirely convinced by that. Again, what else could she say that makes sense? Um, but yeah, hearing from three to 300, I was like, shit, maybe I, maybe I need to start uh, pushing to leave or like taking cash out. Because I've got, you know, more cryptocurrency than fiat at this point. And like I said, I'm just at the edge of going to my employer and being like, hey, if you have issues with this payment network, just pay me in Bitcoin cash. I know there will never be issues there. But I need personally more local adoption, uh, especially with all the KYC stuff that's happened over the past five years. I don't have the same freedom that I did uh, years ago where I could pay off my, all my credit card bills and electric and rent and groceries and all that stuff with Bitcoin Cash. So I either need uh, more local adoption or to find a new local, right? Like I, <laughs> and that's definitely interesting. And there's so much that I feel like we're just going full circle. The, he, he mentioned how it takes forever for you know, local areas, especially like compared east to west coast, uh, for them to actually pick things up. And it's like, just two years ago, we got tapped to pay in Walmart. There's no way in hell cryptocurrency adoption around here is going to pick up for any big stores like that for 10 years at least. So yeah, I need to start reevaluating what the hell I'm doing. Yeah. Well, it's the, the narrative is is getting out there though that i've mentioned it several times because i had this super interesting chat last night one of the guy was also talking about sbf and it was funny to see his perspective on that because he he knew it had happened and he knew that it was a big scandal and he didn't he didn't reflect badly on crypto from it it was super interesting he he said like what happened there and he was asking some questions and when i explained to him about okay he was basically running a crypto bank and if you're running a bank in your bank you know, scams you with the money and then you try and withdraw and it's not there. Well, then the bank has scammed you and you're wrecked. And that was exactly what happened. Just he did a crypto version of that where he was running a crypto bank. And so people need to learn to self-custody their money. Just like if you have cash under the mattress, you can't get uh, rugged by a bank run. And he, he, he got all of that. He was like, yep, that, that all makes sense. <laughs> uh, so that's, that's where another separate thread of the narrative is what the sort of general average person is able to understand like distinguishing all these businesses and different coins and crypto versus fiat and all that that's been a huge amount of information that the average person has had enough exposure to now that they're starting to get get in the right area on those so i think we're actually quite a bit more prepared for the ongoing rise of mass adoption than many people would believe. I do have some, I have friends in Alberta that reached out and were like, you know, Bitcoin adoption here is picking up a little bit. And they invited me out essentially to try and persuade people. And I've just been so burnt out by my local efforts, trying to persuade people that I was like, not going to happen. Uh, I do think like one of the people that had contacted me is a lot more charismatic. He would be a better fit for that, but he doesn't have the background knowledge. So it's like, and they can't afford to hire me to go out there and do this stuff. So it's kind of a weird position, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I think on the East coast here, it'll be a long time. Even if the rest of the country picks it up, we don't even <laughs> like, I've mentioned this before with the, the gold people or the precious metals people, 
I just made the joke where they, they seem like the type of people that, that a kiosk talks to them in the mall and they're like, stop speaking my language, right? I don't want these machines interacting with me. And uh, yeah. we don't have the precious metals people here, but we have a lot of that kind of mindset. So getting those people on board to cryptocurrency will take a, cult, a cultural shift. But it'll be... <laughs> Emergent reason says, as long as chat GPT accepts BCH, you'll be all right. It'll be making all the decisions soon. Yeah, potentially. Uh, thank you for gifting a tier one sub to the community. That's gifted to pound 12th. So lucky pound 12th. You got a, you got a free sub. Uh, but yeah, that'll basically do it for the show then, I think. Thank you very much to our patrons, as always, Ricky and HP, legends. Thank you to our sponsors, General Protocols. Check out bchbull.com. Have a bit of a play around with that. Great, great fun, if nothing else, and very insightful as to the future of Bitcoin Cash tech and uh, adoption and tooling, for sure. Check out this start guide, FAQs and links at bitcoincashpodcast.com. Com. Thank you to all the donators. I haven't had too many donators recently, so I don't know what's what's going on, but it's all right. We got, you know, we're 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 trying to make some cash. We're making more <laughs> subs. We've got uh, Twitch subs, so <laughs> that's 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 all good. But yeah, if you're going to donate, please do. Would love that. Thank you very much for your stats and shout outs for the show. Who are you shouting out this week? I guess the. Two friends in Alberta, William and... Uh, it's so weird. I've never called him William before. <laughs> Will and Alex. Oh, uh, William. Yeah. <laughs> William the third. So Esquire William, uh, the Honorable William. Will's actually kind of a gold guy. Uh, not in the sense of an investment, but he wants to like get into engineering to find gold pockets inside of like river basins and that kind of thing. And especially around here, there's a lot of that. But yeah, shout out to those guys. And maybe I will come out, but I'm not persuading people because you want to. I'll hang out with you guys and we'll see how it goes from there. Yeah, my shout out is to Esteban for coming on the show. And uh, I hope I'll, I'll send him the link and stuff afterwards. He already messaged me to say, you know, he was glad to to come on and stuff and obviously yeah, pushing him a bit with some questions at the end. But like I said, he's, he's not an engineer. He doesn't have the answer. Nobody has all the answers and you don't need to have all the answers. It's just important that we maintain the lines of communication between cryptocurrencies and hopefully all manage to converge as much as possible onto the same network in order to build the network effect and have a viable alternative to fiat currency. But that's going to be an ongoing process and i guess to some extent might be driven more by necessity than than foresight uh on the part of everybody involved doesn't matter whether it's uh or crypto ultimately time will tell you know uh what works will will rise to the top it's just a question of how rocky is the journey and, and how long it takes so uh yeah that that's my shout out and thank you thanks everyone for listening and until next time